survivors and welcome to Wall Chicken, a Castlevania podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray, bonus episode 7, and in this edition we look at another one of Konami's big franchises from top to bottom from 1986 to today. This is the history of Castlevania. My name is Cyniac, you can just call me Cy, and joining me on the panel this week, what a wonderful day to record a podcast. From Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Sugru. Hey folks. What is a podcast? A happy little group of nerds. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. I've come to destroy this castle. And returning to the show, our special guest for this episode, you have become a cursed being and I will never forgive you. This microphone and my kinsmen will destroy you someday. From this day on, the first Aid Spray Clan will record the podcasts. It's Michael Burgertime Early. You won't go unrewarded. The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but to also create new content, select what that content is, and hear it a month before everyone else. Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. Uh, so, those of you who listen to and are aware of what, who we are in the main show, I know these bonus episodes sometimes pull in uh, fans from you know, that aren't aware of us, as they are wont to do, as we are about to talk about Castlevania for two hours. Um, as part of the main show, when we talk about Resident Evil, we do file readings. We have people from the community read the files from the Resident Evil games, and with our bonus episodes, we've done a bit of that, and we've mixed it up a little bit. Like the Silent Hill podcasts, we had some music to break things up. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about Castlevania, and we're going to talk about the music, I'm sure, quite a lot throughout this episode. So it only made sense to select some music for the middle of this episode. So a special thank you to Phantom Dive for their cover of Castlevania 3's Beginning, one of my personal favourite tracks from the entire franchise, in fact. Uh, yeah, so you'll be hearing that later in the episode. Please enjoy that, and if you do enjoy it, go check out their channel. Link's in the description. They do all kinds of video game covers and stuff. So, uh, yeah, special thank you to Phantom Dive. So, it's been a long time coming uh we are finally here with the castlevania episode this is something that we talked and sort of joked about way way back um and then when we started doing these bonus episodes via patreon where we could talk about things outside of resident evil uh it was it was keen for this to be an early one i think it was even in the patreon explanation video i did as one of the example potential example episodes it was definitely part of poll one which it lost uh, but it did return for poll number seven. It got 50% of the votes. I won't say what came second, just because, you know, if you're a Patreon supporter, you can go look that up. But uh, for the masses, that one stays a secret. But it got 40% second place. So I guess in a way we almost missed it again. But we are here, finally, after all the wait. We are talking about the history of Castlevania. And this episode is going to be sort of handled similarly to our very first First Aid Spray episode. We're going to be talking about... The beginning, the middle, the end, all the eras, how we feel about changes. It's just going to be a big, wide-open discussion of all things Castlevania. Don't say the end. Don't say there's an end to (laughs) Castlevania. But we'll get to that. (laughs) I think that was a sort of subconscious (laughs) slip. Sorry, the now, is that better? I mean, technically, that is more correct. There is still things happening. We'll get to that. Yeah. So, back to the very beginning, let's talk about the first game in the franchise. Uh, It was released for the Nintendo Famicom in 1986. It was a big success, uh, which is why it was ported all across the world, uh, coming to American and European NES systems in 1987 and 1988, respectively. Um, Interestingly, 
Europe got uh, Castlevania on the MSX2 before they got it on the NES with Vampire Killer, as it was called. Random, <laughs> random pointless bit of trivia, but there you go. Vampire Killer sort of superseded Castlevania in Europe. Um, we'll break down what exactly the game means to us and, and what we do and don't like about it. But to speak of its legacy, there's a paragraph here from Wikipedia that I'm just going to read wholesale because I think it does a really good job of really summing up the reaction to Castlevania at the time and all these years later. Uh, Since its original release, Castlevania has received generally positive reception. Japanese gaming publication Famitsu gave it a 34 out of 40. It sold impressively and was considered a classic by RetroGamer and IGN. It was rated the 22nd best game made on a Nintendo system in Nintendo Power's top 200 game list in 2006. In August of 2008, Nintendo Power listed it as the 14th best NES video game. Game Informer ranked it as 48 in the best game ever made list in 2001. IGN ranked it 19th on the best NES games, with the second and third Castlevania games ranked as 25th and 5th. So even decades later, um, it does land on those best of all time lists. I'm interested to see what people's sort of first experiences with the original Castlevania. I don't obviously know where you all started with the series since it's quite wide open. For me, this was my first game, so I'm not quite sure if that's true of everyone else. Jordan, what was your first Castlevania game? Was it Castlevania 1, and what was your kind of reaction to it the first time you experienced it? I think it most likely was. I mean, I was actually sort of sitting down and playing a Castlevania game. Uh, I remember obviously the N64 era, like... Uh, you see in the 3d castlevanias that mm-hmm. was the first time i'd ever heard of the series but actually sitting down playing it it was, it was probably a uh, virtual console maybe even like a bit of emulation before that in like sure. the 2000s and that um it's it, it's interesting what you say about uh you know how many times it sort of appears on these best of lists it, it, it's interesting to me because uh as as a game it, it, you know it's it started it started it all but you, you seldom hear people say that it's their absolute favorite Castlevania. Everybody's, you know, played it to some extent and enjoyed it, but it's almost it's it's not a detriment to the game itself because the game's great. Um, but it says a lot about the game itself that it spurred so many sequels that kind of branch out and mm. offer something different. Absolutely. And you you can kind of see that when you when you start playing the game. Like if you're if you're playing the game with that uh idea of all the things that come after it you can you can see that there it's it's not a simple uh you know arcadey style uh super you know super hard action platformer it's there's a there's a bit more going on there there's a there's a little bit more ambition um but i mean it's it's a it's a solid game i actually recently beat it um for the for the first time i've gotten very far plenty of times before up to about death and and that infamous corridor just before the death yes, boss battle. Yeah, I know. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, it's a classic game. It's it's weird though because you could you could be a massive Castlevania fan. You could play so many of the games and never touch the original, and yeah. still get you know the experience of of Castlevania. But it's one of those ones which obviously now I've beaten it. I would say uh, it's it's worth going out of your way to actually play. Um, because it's it still stands up. Yes, uh, I think that's fair. Um, to, to to touch on what Jordan said, uh, it's Castlevania, and I too went back. I, I bought the most recent Konami collection that they put on the Switch, and I've been playing through um, the first few. 
and uh, thinking about Castlevania as a series like that, you know, the first one is what it is. It's it's it was one of the first games I remember having to go back. So like that part of the first level where you uh, you reach that area you can't jump over, so you have to go back to go down the stairs, and then you're in this alternate path, mm. uh, and then you come back up and you see that thing behind you. That was cool. Um, like even even me playing that game now, I'm like, oh, that's neat that they did that back then. Mm. Because most of these games at that point, most adventure games were a linear progression from left to right, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and then and then after that level, then there's this level where it's it's going up, and then you're it's a it's it's the same style game, but it's it's you know vertical, and you get this this sense of like you know you're traveling through this like castle and each zone is different and unique. And these zones all come back as like throwbacks in the series, uh, which, which I thought was really cool. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's just, you're, you're exactly right. Um, when you think about it in the context of when it released, it's crazy to think this came out a year after the original super Mario brothers. Like, right. It, like from an untrained eye, maybe, or, um, perhaps a modern, a more modern eye on video games. Um, the jump is probably harder to see, but in the well, at the time, I mean, I wasn't alive at the time, but I can appreciate that at the time, what a huge jump this already was um, in complexity. Just stuff like you said, vertical levels and, and, and not just going right to get to the end. Uh, dude, not, that's not even to say the fact that I, I definitively remember... The first time I was I was playing it at a friend's house, we were like sitting in front of the TV, Nintendo. He's got the controller. I'm watching him with data breath, and he gets to that bat boss fight, the very first one, and he jumps past it and hits the rock, and the two falls down, and he's talking two axes at the guy at the same time. I had no idea that existed, <laughs> and like from then on, it's the first thing I do every time I hit that boss fight. So like there mm. was that was one of the first games I remember having that that secret like oh let's you know hit this wall. And you get the turkey, um, which is another cool thing. Yeah, it kind of grinds you into that that habit. Mm. You, you, you like you see the same stage, you see the same screen over and over again, and you keep dying. And then slowly but surely, you get a little bit better each time, and you you start realizing, okay, I, you know, I don't take three steps here. I only take two because the Medusa head's gonna sweep down, and I want to kind of miss that arc. And it gets very technical. Yeah, quite quickly with with Castlevania, um, especially with the like original Castlevanias, the strategy that you need in order to be able to kind of uh, have the right sub weapon and have the right, you know, if you can get the multipliers, um, it's it, it's fascinating. That, that that that's kind of why I was like saying with regards to they're they're laying the kind of groundwork for some of the more RPG elements that they'll get yep. into. Mm -hmm. In that there are there are a lot of branching choices. You know their strategies. I mean, you can talk to different people of their their, their preference as far as sub weapons. I mean, personally, I think that the boomerang, that slash cross, is obviously the to me. Well, to me, it's the strongest weapon in the original game. But ah, holy water! Fact, sorry. <laughs> is is it like because? I kind of missed the holy water for most of my last um, playthrough. I so I didn't get it much. The the holy water will stop fireballs. Oh really? Yeah. So all right. So that is one. Still my friend, learning. 
that's what, that's what my friend right like he was like he was like wow you beat dracula without holy water and i was like what are you thought the cross was really good <laughs> <laughs> it like sits there at the end you throw it out and it sits there for a second before coming back so you get like what is it four or five hits on dracula for each cross throw um yeah yeah, yeah like well d- depending on like yeah your multipliers and that yeah it's a it's a dps weapon for sure um steve uh, what were your first experience with the castlevania was it the original game uh the remake of the original game was my oh, first interesting super castlevania 4 yeah yep. uh no word of a lie the last fresh to my hands castlevania game i played was actually the first and that was in preparation for this podcast so uh yeah hmm. i i'm i'm more of the new, newer school but i sure. um yeah I, I i honestly think that uh probably as the freshest eyes among the crew to play the original Castlevania, it's still an astoundingly challenging little game. Like, yeah. uh, everyone's already really gone over how it is the framework for a lot of the action-adventure templates that you see everywhere now. Uh, and the, the sheer fact that you can completely scuff yourself by getting the wrong weapon or the you know, wrong sub-weapon for said task. For example, like, you know, Medusa, hell of a lot easier if you have, like, you know, Holy Water on hand. Not so much if you're just throwing axes over her head. Uh, things like that. It's um, I haven't actually beaten it yet, which is kind of frustrating. I have gotten to the corridor of death, <laughs> and uh, I haven't got past it. So I feel almost like a charlatan until we get to the nightmare. It's fine. I've been playing this game for I don't know about ten or eleven years ago. Was probably the first time I played it, um, and I've never beaten it. <laughs> no, no. I no. always dip back into it, but I just like. Ooh, I gotta yeah, well, we talk about the game. Well, I mean, I might as well get to it now. The, the 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 three games in the series that I think I finished. Have I finished Castlevania Four? I'm not sure. But other than that, it's it's Symphony, uh, Circle of the Moon, <laughs> and Castlevania Two. But we'll get to that. Wow. But yeah, I've never. It's I. I really struggle with this sort of infuriating platformer in the nice way. Like I love right. these games. I, I suck at them and I it, it's upsetting, but I just I just can't tear myself away. And if I do, it's not not overly long. I mean, literally, to the left of me right now is a canvas with a print of Mega Man on it, and it's very much the same affair. I haven't really beaten very many Mega Man games, but it's it's around that era, sort of two thousand nine. I got into both because um, I didn't grow up with a with an NES or anything. So around that time, I guess I was looking back into other titles on that system other than the super obvious stuff like Super Mario Bros. and Zelda, the, the non-Nintendo titles. Um, yeah, I just fell in love with this crazy hard NES, you know, set of games, you know, Contra a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've never overcome. <laughs> so I, I have to say my favorite thing, absolute favorite thing about playing it on the Switch now is that the, um, save the Konami <laughs> save states. Oh yes. man. You just upset I'll... Mike Matei. <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I completely agree. I've I've got I've got that as well on the Switch. I've been playing through Castlevania three, and uh, every room, every new room is a safe state. <laughs> I just um, this is probably the first three. game, probably the first game in my history of playing video games where I've got angry at set of stairs. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> It's certainly come quite far as far as how you can actually play the original Castlevania now, because obviously, uh, last time it, well, first time it had like the digital release, um, 
sort of widespread was on the virtual console yeah. on, on the Wii. Um, and if you were in Europe, uh, you got the 50 hertz version, I believe. So mm-hmm. that wasn't so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now obviously, you know, you've got the best possible version that you can get at least sort of digitally. And, and yeah, you can use, you can use the save states, um, you know, at least to uh, be able to kind of break up the sessions and the levels yeah. and stuff like that. And that's I mean, that, why I do it. I mean, that was the furthest I got as far as like progress, you know, f- quite a few years ago when I was playing it on uh, the PSP, just emulating it on the PSP. And I got to that hallway of death and I was like, right, I've been playing this all day. Uh, I'm going to have to like save it here and then I come back later. And I would just come back and like every couple months I'd try and like go through for like an hour or so and then I'd be like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know? so it is one of those games that you just kind of have to grind out but it's kind of it's similar in in early resident evils in that kind of way that when you do eventually start to know um your way around the game the strategy um you know where to kind of uh conserve your ammo and and you know where not to um hmm. you, you you start to actually uh, get into a kind of a flow and you end up coming back to the game and uh slowly but surely you make a bit more progress each time but obviously they had a bit of a sort of an ideological crisis after the first Castlevania because of the fact that even though it sold okay, uh, was ending up in bargain bins quite quickly because mm. it was it was a game that you could you could beat in a rental, um, and so it didn't necessarily have that kind of longevity with audiences at the time, which is obviously what led to such a splintering of. Uh, the the design theory behind Castlevania is obviously starting with uh, Simon's Quest. Yeah. Can I? Is that, is that, sorry. Go ahead. Ask, I was going to say, uh, how familiar is the 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 panel with the game Harmony of Despair? Not the uh, not the handheld title. The the group six player multiplayer game. I played the shit out of that. I played the heck out of that. Because um, <laughs> if, if I can put a, an asterisk next to, I haven't beaten Castlevania one, but. I have uh, beaten the the facsimile of the entire castle as one level about forty times in that game. Um, <laughs> That's I, so wild! I just uh, I was wondering for people of context for both games in their entirety a bit. Uh, how one to one is that map with the original Castlevania? Um, it's not quite. Um, they they added mechanics to the game, so they had yeah, to adjust it to make those yeah. fit. But mm. like, it's got the same flavor. So obviously you've got the you've got the two versions of the soundtrack. You've got the old and the old NES version, or you've got like a a rock cover, which is now made yeah. its way into Smash. Uh, I mean, it it obviously it looks the part, but I would say as far as it feels, it's kind of like it's kind of like when people would remake um, famous levels from platformers in Little Big Planet. It's like oh, right. okay, I'm definitely playing a different game uh, when I when I do this. I'm in something that's familiar, but it um, you know I've got different. Uh, gameplay mechanics available to me, and you know, slightly it, it slightly breaks it for like a classic map as featured in Harmony of Despair compared to obviously some of the other maps. Uh, yeah, I, I figured because I, I don't know we're going to touch on Harmony of Despair. I just thought I'd mention it. It's like, no, probably, nice we probably will. This is going to be like Plus, just looking uh, at the series as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, OG Simon is beast in that game as well, despite him being like you know two foot tall compared to all the other characters. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so before we sort of start talking about all the uh, the next set of games that this one inspired, obviously we just there's there's one big part of this which is going to keep coming out throughout the podcast, um, which is kind of like style is is the word that I kept writing down. Is this game just has you know all of it, all of the style. Even today, there's just this confidence in every design aspect. And again, talking about Super Mario Brothers, for example, a game that released a year prior or so, this is you know otherworldly by comparison. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and that was an intentional thing, you know, that it was made through the lens of cinema with that in mind. So the visuals and the music were a larger focus than perhaps other games that had come before it. Obviously, Mario Brothers and, and Zelda and stuff began that trend a little bit, but games prior to that, um, audio was a little bit more of an, an afterthought and obviously was more restricted um, than the NES chip. Um, but it, for, for Castlevania, it's just as important as everything else, and and that remains pretty true of the entire series, is this visual and audio style um, which, yeah, was unlike anything else in 1986. You yeah. Put it the frame of the time. Like, most levels in Castlevania 1 are vis- massively visually distinct from the other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or texture use. Whereas, like, you know, you look at Zelda 1, like, nine times out of ten, the, the, this dungeon you're in now is a different colour. Um, you know, Mario, I think, had, like, two parents, Overworld and Underworld. Mm-hmm. Sorry, three. And Walter, Mario, yeah. Overworld. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, it's phenomenally like groundbreaking in that comparison. Yeah, it is yeah. great to pull up like um, like an image of the entire map of the castle and stuff, or just like level images and have a look through all all of them because they're they're wonderfully designed, you know, for the restrictions of the time. Right. I mean, look at Metroid I, uh... One. exactly that's what i was just gonna say um it's funny you mentioned that i too have been looking at the map for the Mm. original castlevania and even like looking at it at a distance in addition to everything being so it's like here's there's like the they break up the colors in really cool ways so it's not like you have uh so to to use the first level for example you start off and it's dark and you have this really bright interior Mm. and you have this really dark thing and you have this really bright interior again and then you go into the next area and it's darker and then you're in the tower and it's red like they they do a good job of breaking up the player so it does feel like you're journeying through right yeah for sure you feel like Um, you're making progress and Uh, frankly this is at a point in you know the video games the video games industry was uh quite happy to put out games that you know frankly just look like a, a mess of green and brown <laughs> and two squares was, next to each other yeah yeah was was sort of um underestimating um the actual the, the necess- necessity for the hardware to be able to show something that it didn't necessarily have the power to do but needed to actually be able to show some kind of variety for and yeah castlevania does stick out like that i didn't really kind of think of it in that way because it's you 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 just know that Castlevania's been there this this whole time. You kind of take for granted the fact that it was, um, you know, a very early game uh, mm. with regards to these kind of visuals and that kind of flair. And yeah, absolutely, it's 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 oozing with charm. Um, the, the the fact that obviously it has such a heavy basis um, of its sort of characters and enemies are, you know, based upon like the, the universal monsters. Mm. Uh, it is instantly going to pull people in because it's something that people recognize. 
but but even if you know know nothing about the game, uh, you can look at the maps and you can immediately understand where you are, um, especially in relation to the the rest of the castle and you know how you're getting closer and closer to uh, you know Dracula's throne room. And that's I and that's that's it right there though because you know like Steve mentioned you look at Mario right and in Mario the only sense of progression you get is to the end of the to that next castle there's I don't I don't ever feel like I'm traveling through the mushroom kingdom mm. going to rescue I feel like I'm playing through series of levels whereas in Castlevania uh especially especially in 2 and 3 um I do feel like I am on my quest and I am in diving through the castle to go kill Dracula and uh, especially once they introduce alternate paths and stuff, it it, it just feels more like that. Yeah, uh, I have to. Uh, I have to ask. This is probably going to be a bit out of the frame of context. But when did Ghouls and Ghosts come out, or Ghosts and Goblins? Uh, let me do a quick Google since no I'm one's on chiming in. Because I, I always uh, I always kind of see the the original Castlevania and them as hmm. twisted cousins of one another. Eighty-five, um, made by Capcom. Oh, okay. Uh, 1985, Ghosts and Goblins. So, I mean, obviously, I can't say that maybe one influenced the other, but there's this 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 DNA uh, mm, at least for sure. between them. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking about how obviously you you've both got horror monsters across the way, but one is a bit more um, prone to kicking you while you're down a bit more, and one's a bit more tactical, mm-hmm. uh, being gentle about it. Mm. See, my problem with Castlevania as growing up as a Sega fan, playing lots of Sonic, is it's it's difficult for me to play with patience. <laughs> I'm all about <laughs> momentum and stuff like that. I, I I struggle with taking it step by step by step. Whereas Ghosts and Goblins, I don't feel like any amount of patience is going to help me. I'm just going to get wrecked. Especially <laughs> because ultimately Simon is just such a slow character. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know he he's obviously I, I don't I don't think there's anything that's necessarily slower than him in in the game to be quite honest mm. and then you have obviously you have some characters who i don't think were uh, intended to be as much of a hazard as they are but you know the likes of the flea men which which personally <laughs> I, I i kind of consider a bigger threat to me than some of the bosses were albeit one of the bosses has a flea man you know as mm. as part of his attack but um you know that was already kind of it was quite it was quite limiting it was sort of okay your whip has you know a great deal of damage that it can inflict but the fact of the matter is you're not outrunning most of these characters um and your your jump is you know again a bit limiting um and you're very slow to go upstairs and you can't you can't do a great deal when you're going up the stairs mm. uh, there are all no, these ways that they're making it hard uh for the player to sort of not pull a Mario and just sort of like run across the screen and just jump over everything. It's like, no, you've got to really time this. There's a lot mm-hmm. of anticipation to your attack and it got Methodical. people to a level of, yeah. Yeah. It got people to that point of patience. Um, which continue. Uh, and that, that continues into the series for a long time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Jordan sort of alluded to, um, of course this game would have sequels um, but to sort of sum up what is the classic uh, series 
We have Castlevania, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, uh, all on the NES. There were three Game Boy games, Castlevania The Adventure, Castlevania The Adventure 2, Belmont's Revenge, and Castlevania Legends. Super Castlevania 4 came out for the Super Nintendo, which was uh, a retelling of the original game. And we also had Bloodlines for Sega Genesis or Mega Drive. Rondo of Blood also came out on the PC Engine and a sort of port, not really, <laughs> it's like an equivalent game, uh, also came out on the Super Nintendo called Dracula X. That, I think, is the, the bulk of the classic games. Um, yeah. I suppose well, the Word of Chronicles, but, um, you know, the, the PS1. Right, yeah, I guess that, one. yeah, that fits so Chronicles, too, of yeah. Chronicles was a uh, remake. Yeah, it was a, it was a remake of the, was it the X8600? Um, or x86000 is it like a, the sharp console yeah. um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a 68000 right oh. there we go thank you um yeah it's a it's a it's a version of castlevania um mm. that was previously made and it was it was their remade to be released on the playstation very hard if you, if very, you very find hard. if you find like the original castlevania uh, difficult and challenging um just uh Stick to that one, you know. <laughs> Goodness. Um, the one thing I will say about it is that for a game that released at its time, it was real pretty. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the game that introduced long red hair, Simon, isn't it? So. <laughs> I mean, Sonya in there, I think. Oh, okay. Right? Maybe I'm thinking of something no, else. Sonya's Castlevania Legends. Is it? I thought Sonya was the protagonist of Chronicles as well. Or am I going uh, crazy? No, no, no. Uh, that's, that's Simon. That's Simon. Yeah. All right, okay. I defer but that was uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the um, earliest see, uh, uh, K- Kojima um, pieces of artwork was uh, the new design for Simon. Mm. Obviously, um, the the art design took a, a, a different direction uh, following uh, Castlevania Chronicles and Symphony of the Night, and kind sure. of led on from there. But yeah, so th- those are those are the main two D games and. Uh, you you can see something being achieved on on the on the different sort of eras. If you're mm. if you're to take the sort of the NES era, the Game Boy era, and then the 16-bit era, yeah, they're all sort of trying out different things. And you've got right. like the NES era sort of like establishes sort of what Castlevania games are. The Game Boy tries to then kind of obviously shrink those down and see if they can actually work on on a handheld screen. 16-bit is fascinating for for 2D Castlevania because you've oh, yeah. got Three completely different games, um, all going off in different kinds of directions. Um, and t- to be honest, there's there's a lot of sort of uh, debate of sort of design philosophy going on there too. Because oh, totally, because Castlevania Four goes off in a completely different direction in, in terms of actually remaking the original, but introducing so many other elements to it, um, as opposed to the other games, which sort of stay a little bit more traditional, but maybe add. Just some extra elements, but well, Rondo Rondo had the had a more of an exploration element. Rondo's the one where you're Richter and you're rescuing the townsfolk, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah that that was cool. Um, and uh, that one also had uh, the second game in the series, if I'm remembering it right, to alter an a, a different character to play as outside of a Belmont. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maria Reynard, right? Right. Um, she had a totally different play style uh, than Richter, and I thought it was it was cool for them to revisit that. Uh, I'm gonna take it back to three 
to touch on mm. the different characters, which uh, to me was the first Castlevania where like that was where my love for the series crystallized. Um, have any of you played three to completion? Not all the way through, no, unfortunately. I played the first stage to completion. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, uh, I've, I've never got too far with uh, Castlevania 3. It is a difficult Tough. game. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to summarize the game, it, was, it had branching paths yes. that you could take through the level. There were paths through the levels that you couldn't take depending on which ally you brought with you. Uh, and as you played through the game, you would find new allies. You'd find Grant, and Grant, um, Grant could climb walls. Um, Sypha had a uh, a frost attack. Uh, Alucard could turn into a bat and shoot fireballs. And you had Simon, who was the Belmont. Um, and you... Trevor. Sorry, Trevor. my bad. Oh, I was trying to do Trevor. his voice then from the anime. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I feel. I, I feel shamed right now. Um, it was Trevor Belmont. Um, I remember because he starts the game and he throws off his cape. Yeah. Um, but no, you could you could have two places of the game that not go the same way. It was the first game where I was like, oh, you know, you got this guy on this go because you went that way. Mm. Uh, and it was wild. Uh, that that to me is where I think the, the series found its legs. And mm. when they get to the 16 bit, they uh, they kind of branch out from there, like Jordan said. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy how much it sort of blows it wide open from the time that I have played with that game. I only really played it recently because of the Castlevania collection, finally. And, um, yeah, I, right, we'll probably, I don't know if this will come up again or not, but obviously Bloodstained, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, I played the the 8-bit Bloodstained game, the name escapes me. Um, Curse of the Moon. Curse of the Moon, thank you. And, and, And that is sort of, stylized on cv3 you're picking up your allies along the way um but with bloodstain you get all four and you can swap between them and stuff i didn't realize that you just find one in castlevania 3 depending on where you go you don't around getting all of them and then go to dracula you depending on where you go depends on the one ally that you can find and swap between obviously you know you can't demand the nes to have four playable characters to swap between but all the same i'm not sure that i'd want it to because of that replayability of you know, oh, I, I finally finished Castlevania 3 and I found Cypher and then you talk to your friend about it and they're like, what are you talking about? I had some pirate dude with me and we went a completely different way. That is that is fantastic and it really builds yeah. on the exploration that's been added, you know, in, in CV2 and that was alluded to in Castlevania 1, Michael, that you said earlier as well. Right. It, it's Yeah, it's, it's crazy the um, the distance it goes in just those few games. Can I also mention, I'm like, as we're talking, I'm like looking at screenshots from Castlevania 3, and some of these levels are, are gorgeous, mm-hmm. even by today's standard, based on like the how they used what they had on this console is incredible. Yeah, it's a great looking game. If, let's probably... be real for a second. The Konami of that era, you know, they, they yeah. were on it. They, they, they knew how to make a damn fine crafted game. It's true. It's true. Um, especially from again style, just the way it looks and sounds. Konami just had that in bags for a couple of decades there. Um, and and coming off of Castlevania two was a huge improvement because that game is not the most attractive game in the series. I, I, I it looks a bit drab and and, and stuff like that. But yeah. you know, I, I'll is- fly the flag a little bit because I I think it's still a fun game. It's it's deeply flawed. The translation is super bad, which makes it really difficult. But I played through it 
to completion, like oh, yeah. I said, with a friend, using a guide, admittedly, because of the poor translation. But for a, a short little adventure romp, we had a good time. They went for it, and I, I, not my favorite game. Like you said, the translations make it bad, but it's honestly the very first game I can ever think of playing that had a day-night cycle. Yeah, I can't sure. think of one before it. Like, that's huge for gaming. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, there's an ambition there, absolutely. Um, it's um, just it's just a shame that it was made about thirty years off of patches. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, it didn't get the kind of support that it would get now. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I mean, obviously there are there are some great fan mods out there that uh, yeah, you know, work to kind of fix uh, some of the some of the issues with it. But again very different experience um and that was not uncommon at the time of course with the likes of zelda 2 and uh, you know other of that ilk mm, that's true. There's, a, there's a there's a big deviation sort of between uh, you know the uh, original game and you know the follow-up um i, I mean i I've, i'm certainly not versed in castlevania 2 uh, frankly but i can say that a lot of great music came out of it still right yeah. absolutely mm. yeah the probably the most well-known track of the entire series is straight for castlevania 2 so you've got to absolutely. thank it for that but you're right because video game sequels weren't a thing at this at this juncture they, they were uncharted territory so companies didn't know what to do so that's why they went wildly in different directions like with castlevania 2 like with zelda 2 they didn't know what people wanted exactly I, w- I do want to mention something about Castlevania 3 just because I'm looking at it and I think it's hilarious. The box art for Castlevania 3 on Wikipedia says that uh, you could win a trip to Dracula's hometown <laughs> as part of a, a promotion that when the game came out. And I'm thinking, would somebody really want to go to <laughs> Eastern Europe in the 1980s? <laughs> well, you, you go there and that like the castle's like bright orange and <laughs> and you go to like the next room and it's like a different color. I actually have that box and it and it still has that sticker on it mm, as well. That's funny. Um I have not checked if if I was the winner. I should. I should, <laughs> I should open up that box, find out. Um, Is this still valid? <laughs> but I think that I mean that that in itself ties into size point of like back when this happened, people didn't know what made the folks didn't know what they want or what people I should say wanted in a sequel. Mm-hmm. So like, Hey, here's a new one. And just because we want you to like, maybe this trip to Romania will help you buy it more. <laughs> like, please just, just buy the game, please. You know? uh, and the boxer sure. is gorgeous too. It's got everybody on it. Yeah. Isn't that another one of the ones that's ripped off from like uh, Dungeons and Dragons handbooks and stuff. That is bad too. That does have a history with that. Um, so sticking with the, the 2D game just a little bit longer, um, I know Sherwin wanted to be on this episode, so I'm just going to fly some flags for him. Um, unfortunately he couldn't make it, but, uh, he said that the Game Boy game was amazing. We all know he's a Game Boy, a Game Boy fanboy because he loves Resident Evil Gaiden so much, but, uh, I know some of you guys have some different opinions on the Game Boy games. I played it <laughs> for all around 10 minutes because of Castlevania Collection before I went, now nah, play Castlevania three instead. Let's be clear. Um, so so Shuren wanted wanted us to to say what you know that Castlevania the Adventure is one of his favorite yes. Castlevania games. Um, nice way of outing yourself as a non Castlevania fan, Shuren. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine if you if you really like slow games that really shouldn't be.
be that slow. Like, you know, technically there's there's a problem and, you know, there's <laughs> there's levels of gravity that just don't make sense. And, you know, it's it, it's just so easy to die and you get I'm three lives and that's it. Anyone else getting nothing but salt through your headphones? Just me? Yeah, yeah um, I've seen Jordan's videos on Twitter, so I know I can... <laughs> okay, okay. Let, me, let me just level this, right? I... I played through the entirety of Castlevania the Adventure, and to be fair, it's not a long game. Um, but but you know, add in a lot of deaths, and it, it takes you a day. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so Castlevania the Adventure, I, I I don't recall exactly what year it came out. Was it nineteen ninety or something like uh, that? 19, 1989. 1989, Thank you. So uh, you know, look, not every conversion from the NES to the Game Boy can be successful. There are mm. plenty. You know, there's some great Mega Man games, great Mario games, and stuff like that. Um, but this, I, I, I refuse to believe that this is what they wanted to make at the time. Um, I think they were quite limited technically, and it, yeah, it can be difficult to convert that experience uh, to uh, a platform like the Game Boy, which is underpowered compared to the NES. Um, it's it's just it's not very rewarding as an experience. But right after I finished that, I played uh, the sequel, uh, Adventure Two: Belmont's Revenge. That game, within thirty seconds, immediately felt like the game that Adventure should have hmm. been. Yep. All right. Okay. So Adventure is buried. All right. I've <laughs> laid it to rest. Ser <laughs> seriously, if you do have to play, well, not have to, but it's nice to, to play yeah. a, a Game Boy. Castlevania game. Belmont's Revenge is great. It's it's honestly it's it's up there with you know some of the best because it feels um it's what you it, want it, in a mobile Castlevania game. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got the kind of uh, fair enough. You're you're a Belmont, you're slow, but otherwise you've still got the gameplay flow that allows you to play the game at something that isn't, you know, 2 frames per second. Um a lot of variety to the to the levels. Um a greater a number of levels as well, so it's actually a longer game overall. And there's some really interesting bosses that that get the better of you plenty of times, just because you you have to go through it a lot to actually mm. re remember the patterns and uh, you know remember whether or not you actually need to you know move with the stage or not. And, uh, no, it's it's a fantastic experience, which I was not expecting to have because to be honest, I always looked at the Game Boy games as well that they're, they're going to be limited. Right. Um, compared to some of the other experiences. And by the point that I started looking at the Game Boy games, there'd already been two other generations of handheld Castlevania that mm, obviously completely right. blew them out of the water. But like, Belmont's Revenge is really enjoyable. I can't speak for Legends because I have not played it. Um, I have played Legends. <laughs> so tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Legends. So Legends is canonically the very first Castlevania in the series, or was was at the time. It features Sonia Belmont, who is the mother of Simon Belmont. If I again, I'm trying to put this back together. My brain's been a long time. Um, and in it, you you you're fighting the first time fighting Dracula. I don't really remember the why. Uh, it's I'm reading the Wikipedia page. She's the first vampire hunter of her clan. Develops her mystic powers in her 17 years. And eventually, right. to challenge Dracula. Uh, it's the first appearance of uh, no, not the first appearance of Alucard. It's the second appearance of Alucard um, <laughs> in the... Sorry, first appearance in the canon, because this happens before Castlevania 3. Right. Uh, but the game came out after Symphony. Wow. 
Well, uh, brain feeling a little bit twisted sideways. <laughs> yeah. Um, I apologize. Transylvania uh, <laughs> law. I, I promise I don't have crazy mad scientist hair right now. Um, <laughs> but no, it was it was hard. It was tough. It was a cool looking Castlevania game. I wasn't a big fan of it because it was dummy hard. Mm. Um, but it was neat. Uh, just to just to experience like the start. It was the start of the series like, in terms of the story, which. Um, when we get to it, we'll talk about Symphony of the Night and what that did for the, the story of the game. But like mm. up at that point, uh, I think the motivation for for that was because Dracula was bad and bad people need to die. And that was the story of Castlevania. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, he's Dracula. <laughs> why why wouldn't you want to kill him? That's <laughs> duh. Oh, look. Right. Old Vlad's gone off his rocker again. Time to go with him. <laughs> right. Now, this game got slated at the time. Um probably because of the fact that it, it came out around the time of other Castlevanias that were obviously critical darlings. So, I mean, was it as bad as everyone said it was? And and how did it compare to the other Game Boy games? It had more stuff than the Game Boy games. You had the ability to... Um, you actually, uh, the, you had a burning mode. Once per stage, you can you can use your special magical ability, which made you go Super Saiyan. Um, it you, you stop taking damage for it, it. It didn't last the whole level. It was a few seconds, um, and you just blapped people. Uh, but it was still. If it had come out literally a year earlier, people would have loved it. It would have been the best Castlevania game out. Hmm. That's just in terms of something you could. It was a mobile game. You could play it in your Game Boy. People would have looked. I, I maintain, I agree, it was probably because it came out after Symphony, and Symphony was just so freaking good. And it was also still on the Game Boy at that point. Like, Game Boy, it was the end of Game Boy's life cycle in 98. Well, you say that, but in, in a way, also, it's the Game Boy's boom. You know, Pokemon was around that time as well. Yeah, so, that's but, fair. But, you know, Pokemon. I guess that's, Pokemon's that's, an exception, though. Yeah, I guess right. I think that's. All the... I, I, I know what you mean there. Like, right? It's, no. It's, um, yeah. It's uh, as as far as sort of like most traditional Game Boy games, it was definitely sort of the end of the line, and then you had sure you had Pokemon come along and kind of bridge that gap before yeah. the Game Boy Color would come along. But uh, yeah. So it, from the sounds of it, Castlevania Legends, which I do intend on playing, um, is so, sort of been left out in the cold. Obviously, it's not kind of considered part of the canon. It hasn't had uh, a digital release whatsoever um mm. so I, from what i understand the only way that you can actually play it is if you go buy the cartridge the extremely expensive cartridge or um no i think that's it there's no other way that you can play it no Serious? other possible way no 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 it's fine uh it's fine get the cartridge that's, that's it. it oh yeah that's it i didn't know that the cartridge is that expensive i might still have mine i think I, I i think it is it is getting up there now uh, i i was trying to collect all the castlevania games a couple of years ago and that was already one that was on the expensive side, and some of the more attainable ones have since shut up. So, honestly, if it were if it were done on the, if it was done as a Game Boy Color game, it'd be fine. Like it it would have like yeah. adding color to the game yeah. would have done a lot. Because yeah. I'm like again, I'm looking at screenshots as we're talking, and it is very bland, even for a even for a Game Boy Advance game. Uh, and how it's executed because they tried to do a lot. They they added trees to the background, and it, and it just does not land like it does when mm. you when you're able to even add the limited colors you could on the on the NES. Yeah, absolutely. We it it does, uh, especially at that point. There'd been so many Game Boy games that there's only 
there's only so many tree backgrounds that you can kind of take uh, <laughs> right. at, at that point. So it's not necessarily kind of standing out. But um, obviously, obviously, it was meant to have a, a sort of a follow-up on the Dreamcast, wasn't it? Like uh, Son Sonya was meant to star in another game. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Gee, yeah, I so, about that a long time. So there could have been like some kind of alternate reality where they they come mm. out with a Dreamcast game and that does well and and people maybe have a bit more reverence for Castlevania Legends and Castlevania it, Resurrection was that one. That's, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it could have went on a on a completely different trajectory. I don't know what it's is stopping Konami from releasing it again. Um, I don't necessarily think that it was pure coincidence that it didn't. Uh, it didn't get a virtual console release on the 3DS and it didn't get a yeah. release in the Castlevania collection. I just, I don't know why they snub it. I, I believe that um, uh, Igarashi doesn't necessarily care for it. Yeah, I, I believe he was the one that took it out of the canon. That's um, exactly who it was, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess uh, it's it's one of those ones that maybe people should actually uh, seek uh, out and, and get, I, at least at least give a try. Right, uh, you can't say you can't say you don't like it if you haven't played it. Um, though to Koji's exact quote is, "Legends remains something of an embarrassment for the series. If only that development team had the guidance of the original team of the series." Bizarre. Uh, mm. That was the other thing. You you got weapons from beating the bosses. Huh. That's odd. That was yeah. We uh, uh, when we said we were going to talk about Castlevania's entire series, I didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole. I have to say. <laughs> And one last thing before we move on, though, uh, that that quote kind of makes me laugh about, you know, uh, how he's taken it out of the canon and stuff, uh, of course, because for the most part, compared to some game series, and we keep saying mentioning Zelda, so that's a great example, and even and Pokemon, geez, um, canon can be a mess. Castlevania is mostly straightforward i think you know we, they've all got years so you know in what order everything takes place although my favorite thing about castlevania lore is the fact that uh bram stoker's dracula is the first installment of castlevania but the estate of bram stoker says no it's not yeah <laughs> that's the thing <laughs> the, the team behind castlevania said that that's actually part of our story like, well the book book is technically the games follow on from that book <laughs> bram stoker's estate are like we there want nothing to do with this Bloodline, isn't it? That's the yeah, mm. Bloodline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And technically, portrait of ruin as well. But it's fascinating what they they have actually been able to pr produce as kind of part of that sort of ex extended canon, and mm. you know, linking it to other other pieces of work. Because uh, you know, especially in the early days of the games industry, there were other legal disputes with regards to you know using certain properties and licenses. That's why there was the whole issue with uh, Donkey Kong versus King Kong, and sure. you know where exactly Nintendo stood on that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, just a point on canon, and as, particularly about Igarashi's quote. Uh, obviously, another game. Which we, you know, we will get to the these line of games a little bit further on, but uh, Circle of the Moon is. Not canon either. Um, I heard that's but it debatable. Is, but it, it's, but it's also, it, but it's also not one that was uh, produced by uh, Igarashi, mm. I believe. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he just really wants to obviously be involved in those games. Right, and, yeah. I mean, there's another person who was at who was at Konami who was exactly like that, and that was um, Hideo Kojima. You know, right. like mm -hmm. if he didn't produce a Metal Gear game, it wasn't his. Um, so there's right. obviously there's there's some protection going on with regards to the games themselves, but. 
course, we as fans have got all of these games in front of us and we consider them all part of the Castlevania universe to some extent. Sure. Right. Okay, um, let's round out the rest of the 2D games. Steve, is there any particular high notes or, high notes or low notes for you in the uh, the 2D series? 24, for reasons of it was my first game. And the whole, you know... I think mm. there's a really in-depth video done by Aaron Hansen, Ego Raptor of Game yes, yeah. Sequelitis. This, about yep. And how it's uh, a supercharged version of the original. Mm. Uh, for me, it was obviously my first... Vena game. Uh, I think I want to say that it's weird now looking back on it because a lot of it's like visual contemporary stuff kind of bleeds into later games. Not as much as sure, Rondo yeah, of Blood yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, uh, my next game would have been Dracula X. Because uh, I don't think we ever got, we didn't get Rondo of Blood over here until mm. way later. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, I had to get on the PSP. Uh, and both, well, Dracula X version, I remember ripping me in half a few times because I distinctly remember fighting Dracula on, I want to say, breaking platforms or a very battered arena. Uh, and this is obviously when I had the patience to play these games all the way through in single sitting, so probably, what, age eight, nine. Um, and, yeah, being blown away by the sheer challenge of it all and how it's very much... You've got to find those moments. It's almost like... We're going to probably touch on this a bit more later, but it's... Um, Dark Souls mentality was very much a thing back then as well, where you had to learn everything about the opponent, the bosses, just to maneuver around the arena and fight them. Mm. And oh, unlike, oh. say, like the Super Star Wars games or other side-scrolling action games of the era, these guys had like almost like tells and scripted moves you could actually predict, as opposed to just indestructible, you know, laser walls and dumb combos that just go on forever. It was actually kind of a lot more tactical, even on Dracula X. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was a big fan of Castlevania 4. In fact, uh, in preparation for the podcast, I have played it again recently. Not all the way. Uh, a lot of fun stuff in there. Um, the the passing through the gate is really cool. Like because there's a part yeah, part of yeah. one of the first levels where you like dip back behind the level and the monsters in front of you go by and you pop back out on the other side. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in terms of like seeing that in a game at that point. Um, the the whip swing, which is iconic for the series now, uh, was the first point that that appeared in the series. Mm-hmm. What is that blowing level that rotates with it as well? As I was about oh, to yeah. say, yeah. Check out oh, yeah. mode seven. Exactly, um, using the the SNES, SNES's power really, wasn't it? Using the background and foreground, using the rotating rooms, just playing with what they had. They did that with uh, on the levels that were inside too, where the background would scroll behind yeah. the windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Uh, Jordan, um, oh sorry, go on. No, go ahead. So I was gonna say I was gonna mention Rondo of Blood specifically. Um, also, the first time that you got like the superpowers, uh, the uh, you could do every item had Hydro a special Storm. item. Hydro Storm. Hydro Storm. <laughs> yeah. Like he would like power up, and then the screen would explode. It was awesome. <laughs> Can't help. Yeah, item crashes were awesome in that game. Uh, Jordan, any highlights and lowlights of the two D games? Um, I, I mean, to be quite honest, apart from the ones we've already spoken about, with regards to the 16-bit uh, generation, I do think that Castlevania 4 is it, its one of those quintessential Castlevania games for me. Despite the fact that it, it does so many things different and almost breaks the system for having a, for having a, a whip function that is 
you know, so good, basically. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if you really wanted to cheese that game, you could. Um, there's plenty of points in the game where, yeah, you can you can just kind of like farm the hits without ever being in danger. Uh, but at the same time, there is some challenge to it. I think uh, as a game, it's a great it's a great journey. It's a great odyssey. You, you go through so many different locations before you even get to the castle. And when you get to the castle, I think it's a really solid one. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. takes it takes you through you know, all the kind of mysticism of the castle, as well as the actual challenges that you're so used to in the other games as well. So it's actually one which I would recommend if somebody was only to play one 2D Castlevania, that would be, be it. It'd be four. Yeah. yeah. However, my soft spot um, remains with uh, Bloodlines or New Generation. Why? Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I gotta tell you, I, Bloodlines to me is the most fun to play of the yes. original Castlevanias. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I have I've not beaten it. Uh, I've got to the penultimate stage. But that game... I don't, know, I, I don't know how to sum it up. Because this is what I find so fascinating about the 16-bit era, is just how different these three games are to each other. But they oh, achieve yeah. all three different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Bloodlines, obviously, it's got uh, you know an additional character with Eric Lacard, um, you know, who lo- uses a lance. Um, so Calicard he can do all kinds Spear. of... Yeah, Sorry. he can do the uh, <laughs> he he can do that he can do the uh, the high jumps and uh, it's a little bit easier to to handle compared to uh, John Morris. And uh, there's also parts in levels that John Morris can't get to because you need to high jump. To absolutely, them. absolutely, and that's kind of painful when you see them because they they're kind of obvious when you see them. Yeah. It's like halfway through the game, you're like, oh, I should have picked the other character for this bit. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like Castle Castlevania Bloodlines is. I, I would say it's largely the most traditional out of out of the three sixteen bit Castlevanias. Yeah. In that, uh, you know, you're still kind of like a bulking. Uh, you know, as far as John Morris's campaign is concerned, you're still a bulking, slow moving um, vampire killer. You know, you, you use your whip, and uh, everything otherwise functions just about the same. Um, you know, the bosses are you know a follow on from that, and everything. There is some extra functions. You can obviously you can. Uh, do the same kind of um, uh, whip. Could you do the whip dangle in that one? You I can do remember. the whip dangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was trying to think of a, <laughs> a nicer way to, to say it. it. Whip dangle. <laughs> that, that works. Uh, yeah, you uh, you have that as a function. But other than that, it keeps it sort of like fairly traditional. But yeah. very very game. Uh, you're going. You're traveling across Europe, so the the maps are very. different. You you don't know where you're going next. You start off at the castle and then you move everywhere else. Um, the second level is like a uh, like a ruin. That that's another vertical level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which and that's a that's a beautiful stage as well. Absolutely. There's a lot of there's a lot of enemies in that game that never show up again, um, at least sprite wise in any of the other games that follow it. So it kind of it stands out as a bit of an oddity. It was on it was on the Sega Mega Drive and Sega Genesis. So again, it stands out as a bit different, um, and I. I think up until now, up until the Castlevania collection, I think it would have flew under a lot of people's radar. Yeah, I think that's accurate, actually. Definitely. But, it's, it's, it's very overlooked. Uh, also, and, not killing Dracula in that one either. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, Camilla, yeah. So it, it goes off in, in a completely different direction, and uh, you, you, can en- you can enjoy it on a level that you wouldn't necessarily um, enjoy. Uh, Rondo or Castlevania 4 because they're offering different things. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite things about it was the soundtrack. The soundtrack is absolutely beautiful. 
Um, that Mega Drive sound chip to its fullest with like all of the classic tunes as well, isn't it? Abso- absolutely. Like, I mean, oof, you, you know, that blue intention. The Mega, the Mega Drive obviously gets kind of like a bad rap for you know having a slightly kind of tinny, underpowered sound chip. But the fact of the matter is, if you had great composers working on those games, and they absolutely did for for Bloodlines, mm-hmm. you had you had Michiru Yamane, who she. She's obviously uh, now very prominent as as a Castlevania composer. I mean, among the many composers that have been involved in the series, um, she is, you know, quite possibly the most prominent and worked on several games, including Symphony of the Night, obviously, to follow. But this was, um, it was, it was such a different kind of soundtrack because a a lot of the others had been quite sort of, uh, you know, up-tempo, um, but there was some there was some really kind of serene tracks in here hmm. that were um, oh, yeah. just it was it was just different and uh, I was so surprised because I, I'm I'm not a fan of the Sega sound chip to be quite honest you know that side of Sonic I think that it's very hard to get a great sound out of those uh, you know out of the hardware um, but there are some examples where you know it does excel um, because frankly the, the songwriting is that good. And Castlevania Bloodlines is is definitely that. So that's my soft spot. Um, I, I I think that they're all strong. And if you're looking at the 2D era as a whole, uh, there there aren't many clangers. There's a couple yeah. that misfire. There are a couple that sure you know we we can we can look at and say these definitely didn't hit the marks that the developers had intended. Mm. Um, but other than that, it's still it's still solid. Whether yeah. or not it's still got the kind of appeal. Um, and the longevities are sort of like be able to be released now. It's hard to say because it's a completely different industry to what it was in the 80s and 90s. But there is a catalogue of games there that still stand the test of time for the most part. Yes, I agree. I um, I picked up that Castlevania collection partly with the intention of playing uh, Bloodlines, the new generation, whichever you prefer, because um, I've not touched it Um and I am a fan of the Mega Drive sound chip, and that's probably nostalgia a little bit, right? Growing up on it, but so I'm ex- I'm excited to finally get to experience it probably because I haven't had a chance yet. But it's well worth picking up that collection because a lot of the games we talked about are on it. You know, uh, one, two, three, four, two of the Game Boy games, but not Legends as we discussed, and Bloodline. Sadly, no Rondo, um, but it can be purchased with Symphony as well, kind of um, on the PlayStation and, and I think Xbox One as well, probably. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a misnomer that Dracula X is sort of a little bit fading to time, I suppose. I don't think it's been ported much. I think it was on Virtual Console, but I don't think it we've was, seen yeah. it since, unfortunately. But uh, other than that, though, access- it is a collection. It's Sorry. great. If you have access to Rondo, then you don't need to play Dracula well, X. Well, there is that. See, yeah, is I would argue I would argue that Dracula X is for your, like, you, for some reason you really, really want a hard Castlevania game because it's, 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 it's more classic. In right. the way it's approached compared to Rondo, whereas there's that level of non-linearity and exploration you just don't get in Dracula mm. X. Mm. Plus, it's uh, notoriously like unbelievably hard in comparison. Um, yeah. Even with like, I think you still get your item crashes. It's been a while since I played Dracula X, but it's definitely the not as cool. <laughs> it's not as cool, Steve. Uh, but it is significantly harder right. than Rondo or Blood. Now, I would well, argue many of the other Castlevania games. Look, if you don't if you don't want to fight Dracula when he's wearing his red speedos, then 
by all means, don't play Dracula X, all right? <laughs> we'll have the party over here, and you can miss out. But if, if you do want to have that experience, well, you can get it with Dracula X. But... <laughs> There you go. Okay, that's excellent. a reason to that's a reason to dip in, right? You know what? I absolutely forgot all about his second phase in that game. <laughs> and on For those that one. don't know, it's a giant naked demon Dracula. <laughs> I think we got that, didn't we? <laughs> <With wings. laughs> um, all right. So before we move on to the sort of well, the actual next generation, the next era of games, we're going to take a brief break uh, and listen to Castlevania 3's The Beginning as performed by Phantom Dive. Uh, please enjoy it and we will catch you all in just a moment.
Okay, welcome back to the second half of this huge Castlevania discussion. Um, the part that many people may have been waiting for, I know Steve is one of them, um, the reinvention of the series uh, in 1997, which brought us Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, originally developed as a side story for the series, it was designed to break conventions. Um, we talked a lot about how the previous series of games had done a lot of different things, but they would also at the same time held fast to a lot of traditions. And as Jordan said, um, pretty much gave them an issue with replay value. You know, it, it, it's a straight run. Once you've mastered it in the bargain bin, it kind of goes. So the idea was to design a game with a longer playtime. Um, and so by to, to, in order to do this, programmers introduced RPG elements, a large explorable map that required players to navigate different routes in the same sort of way that Metroid had done previously. In fact, the game is so influential that it went on to coin the term Metroidvania, which is used for any game that follows this sort of formula. Um, like I did with Castlevania 1, it's definitely worth mentioning the reactions to this game. Um directly ripped from wikipedia again this just wonderfully sums it up i think um the same year that it was released symphony of the night was ranked the 12th best console video game of all time by egm who said it's not only the best 2d game on the playstation it's one of the best period it was 16th on ign's top 100 games of all time and 24th in got uh, game informers top 200 game zone ranked it the best castlevania title ever made game pro listed the discovery of the inverted castle as the 26th moment great Greatest moment in gaming. Uh, Games Radar named Symphony of the Night the second best PlayStation game of all time behind Metal Gear Solid. It was ranked fourth place on EGM's list of 100 greatest games of all time. Fourth placed, which made it the highest PS1 game on the list. Edge ranked the game number 35 on its list of 100 best games to play today, stating when you get to the moment where the castle turns on its head, you see that it's a work of genius. And we'll get to that specific moment. So, uh, a huge success. It's fair to say with Symphony of the Night um, upon release and again to today talked about as one of the most important games of all time. Uh, personally for me, I d didn't play it around release. Obviously, like I said, I got to Castlevania several years after it would have been released and that was directly into the 2D game. So I didn't play this game um, until 2017. That was the first time I played it. So three years ago. Um, I remember so because I... explains I, it, right? Yeah, Hansai explains it. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my on my personal channel, I, I Breath of the Wild had just come out and I played it and I remember I summed up that game by saying, uh, you know, it, it sounds like hyperbole, but man, that game's in my top 10 already. And then on the next <laughs> month or whatever, I played Symphony of the Night for the first time and went, oh, I, I've, it's just happened again. It So there's no nostalgia for me with this one. I only played it three years ago. And my God, it blew my damn socks off, even though it was 20 years later. Um, it's so good. It's one of my favorite games of all time. I don't know quite where to start with this. Uh, Michael, what was your first reaction to Symphony of the Night when it came out? Because obviously you were already an established Castlevania fan. So how did you feel about the changes? Was it was it slightly scary at all? Or <laughs> that so, it was doing uh, something so different? Uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night was my first Castlevania. I, I must oh, okay. Answer, we did... We did go back and play it, I, um, but it was the first game. It was the first one I played, and it it blew my goddamn mind. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, 
just to start it off when you start the game you know it's you know your guy you got a whip and, and you they give you all of the cool things to make richter feel sure, like yeah. a badass you see all of his toys he gets to play with and you're like yeah and you just house dracula right away and then the game starts and you're like <laughs> what the f-? And it's again not only is it just um a different character but the entire interface is different the entire everything and that's not even saying anything the fact that the the loading screen was one of the most fun things to play with at that point in the game because when it was loading it would spin um and you could you could manipulate <laughs> it as it was um but yeah it absolutely blew my mind um we played it we played it so much uh i i literally know that game better than any other video game ever mm. that i played i love it. it's my it's my favorite video game of all time nice well yeah. that's i mean that's fair and and we talked a little bit off mic about there maybe not being a super obvious place where everybody starts with castlevania but i think this was probably the one that's going to get the most answers from people if you ask that question it was a a massive sea change and like i said at the time it was a huge success so it would have brought lots of people in uh, that necessarily hadn't played a Castlevania game before. Also launching on uh, the PlayStation as well, which had a good install base, some some fresh fans to come to it. Uh, Jordan, what was your reaction to Symphony of the Night the first time that you played it? Well, I, uh, I picked it up, I think it was around 2011, 2012. Uh, funny enough, I was actually kind of doing it as sort of a bit of a, an anniversary run for, for Castlevania, I believe, there, the anniversary... Of the, of the series was coming up. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to dive into uh, Symphony of the Night. Never touched it, never played it. Didn't have a PlayStation at the time that it came out. And by the time that I did have a PlayStation, um, I only really got to pick up a couple of titles before it was on to the next generation. And you, you do kind of miss these games sometimes. Mm-hmm. Especially because when I was growing up, uh, Castlevania was... Castlevania 64 it was <laughs> it was 3D and I <laughs> honestly I it wasn't on my radar if you if you can believe that if you can believe that mm. you know a game as large as Symphony of the Night is um you know in in the culture now um just just wasn't in, in my line of sight at the time but sat down with it and I uh, yeah I was I was hooked with Symphony of the Night as soon as I actually sat down to start to play it um I really I, I didn't do much else for about three days. Yeah. I was just yeah, playing that constantly. Um, I, I tried to kind of keep it to uh, the nighttime because there's just something about that game that is perfect, mm. comfy, chill. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, it's it's a it's a game that obviously uh, off, offers a different experience that um, is certainly challenging. Still, there's going to be plenty of game overs, but. Because it's obviously more RPG oriented, uh, there's a bit of a grind. And if there's a bit of a grind, then you can kind of slow it down a bit because you know you're going to be in there for a bit of a longer haul than you would be um, for, a, for a typical 2D Castlevania, classicvania, as they call them. Mm. Um, that paired with an excellent castle to explore, tons of secrets, um, and a, you know one of the best soundtracks to you know ever grace the industry uh it's it's such a like it's such a fun experience it's a it's a pure experience um i gotta tell you i still get chills when i enter the marble gallery (laughs) like every time that's that's the thing is the music is is timeless i mean it's it's 
thankfully it kind of came out at a time when there was already CD audio. Yeah. So that very varied. I mean, if you have a look at the track list, it's it's huge. Um, and the variety to the soundtrack is as um, as fantastically sort of expansive as the castle itself. It really matches it well. And so that was my biggest takeaway from the game. It wasn't necessarily that it was the you know the best Castlevania or like had all the best features and all of that kind of stuff. It's very fun. Um, Good game. The, the, the big takeaway for me was that it was just it was such a great experience just mm. to actually be in that world. Um, I mean, the, the enemy list again is off the chart. There's just it's so many it's packed, it, Yeah, it's it's packed with content. And um, despite the fact that it was a 2D game in 1997, uh, where arguably 2D games were not the focus, you know, people wanted to see polygons. They they yeah. wanted to see the leap into the next um, into the next generation of graphics and stuff. Uh, but it really stands out. And I mean, you've got to be a big deal to kind of stand out as a 2D game in that particular uh, year. Because yep. you, you could be able to sure. Yeah, 97, yeah. 97 was huge. Yeah, it's a massive year for gaming, definitely. It's uh, it's funny because we talked about this a little bit before. Um, but it's worth pointing out because it makes me laugh every time. The uh, I guess it's Nintendo official magazine or one of these sort of pointing and laughing at Symphony of the Night because it was a 2D game and the industry was moving away from that, sort of going on about how Castlevania 64 was going to be so much better. Um, yeah, journalism that has uh, aged poorly <laughs> in the most hilarious way. You touched and on despite something. Despite being a 2D game, it, it, it couldn't even fit on a cartridge. No, like, that's no. exactly right. It, 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 yeah. needed, it needed a disc to actually be able to have everything that it had like there's mm-hmm. there's all kinds of elements to it that it's it's like you were saying uh it wasn't a 3d game in a time when 3d games were the norm but it took all that power that the playstation had right. and utilized it in an incredibly different way yeah there's no way this game could have existed on any console that had already come before it, it had to be the playstation yeah. Steve, what, what, what was your first thoughts on Symphony? Mike okay. was doing the hosting for me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> so, dear listeners, te- I want to take you back to the year 2005. And we had just played RE4, uh, me and my compatriots, uh, my college compatriots, as we do gaming weekends. And then uh, I want to say this is like the summer. And, we, and we've just played Super Metroid. Now, I distinctly remember turning to my friend uh, Jay, who's on the Fire Button uh, group with me on YouTube. And uh, basically sense on the lines of, wow, I wish there were more games like Super Metroid, Jade. Just don't make them anymore. <laughs> uh, to which, to which uh, the following week, I literally got slapped in the face with this jewel case and said, Steve, we're playing this all weekend until you beat it. And that, that was it. That was that was when Steve went from playing these older Castlevania games to playing Symphony of the Night. And it's that was one hell of a weekend. Like, uh, <laughs> I, 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 This is obviously a younger, much more... Uh, Determined Steve, who had no idea what sleep was and drank coffee like a madman. So, yeah, that that was that was an intense forty-eight hours. I mean, it sounds like a great week, Super Metroid, followed by <laughs> Symphony of the Night. Yeah, that, that, I mean, <laughs> co- like college weekends were, were the delight. That, that's that, that's by the by. It's just the fact that they literally thrust this jewel case in my hand. <laughs> I love that. And then said, "We're playing this, Steve." That uh, you know, I'm still like I'm still post re four high at this point. You know that that kind of like that heady violence and all these other things. And I played Super Metroid and then this, so you know, gem after gem after gem. 
And yeah. uh, I loved every second sure, of it. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, as Berg has already said, the opening five minutes are literally, here's Richter at full power. You can't die, wreck Dracula. And then, like, you know, you see this really cool cape dude who's got this visual distortion every time he starts running. Yeah. And you hit a, like, I want to say, like a giant werewolf with a sword and he explodes. And then you're thrust into the castle and away you go. It's, and, um... and and then you're playing Castlevania again. Um, just, again, completely unstoppable. Like, it's killing everything. And you go through this hallway and death is there. And, mm. like, you're like, what? And you have this cool dialogue because, you know, again, this is the first time that they, they also, like, Really inject like injected a bunch of story into the game. Yeah, I won't yeah. ask you to, re to return to our side, but I demand you cease your attack. <laughs> I will, will not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cheesy voice acting aside, right? These were gems. Like, you yeah, know, that, yeah. If if there is ever a, a interpretation of a gothic like Dampier vampire, if it's not like Vampire Hunter D or this Alucard, there's something wrong. Like, mm. I th there's a reason why uh, Anime Alucard has that extra deeper deepness to him compared right. to his, like, you know, uh, should we say, uh, Bishonen frame. It's, they, also, uh... they also gave him the jacket. Like, yeah. <laughs> what does Death do, Steve? He robs you of all of your decent gear. <laughs> and he takes, takes everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're reduced to punching the next, like, God knows how many skeletons and zombies to get gear. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but it's a real good time. <laughs> so one thing that the game is remembered for, for good or for bad, is the, the voice acting um, and the classic lines, you know, uh, everybody knows. We already parried them in the intro with the, the what is a man and all of that great stuff. But but you're right, like the, we hadn't seen anything like this in the series. It's the first time we've had sort of proper cutscenes. I know the, the FMVs in this are nothing to talk about, of course, the... the no, the 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 bottom of the barrel of well, there's one really good. The FMV, only thing at the bottom of the barrel, yeah. One really good FMV, but it's been cut by every other version, bar the original PlayStation version. Mm. Maybe is that on the, the one that the one that starts off in the and then goes up to the castle in the beginning, or is it the upside down one? It's the upside down upside castle. Down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so the FMVs generally weren't great, but to actually get pieces of story as you went along was was really cool. Um, and you know, so again, as <laughs> as usual, the translation's a bit uh, heavy-handed, and the voice acting is mixed. Um, personally, I love Robert Belgrade's Alucard voice. Oh, I, yeah. I, oh yeah, beautiful. No, that, yeah. that that yeah, that baritone that you were mentioning, Steve, is just wonderful. Uh, I'm interested. To this day, in this. Yeah, exactly. I, I I say that all the time. Just I'm interested in this. <laughs> he, he may well be the only good voice actor in the cast, but damn. Right, he you carries know, it. By, oh yeah, and by good we mean like you know nineties nineties voiceover. Yeah, sure. Good. It's um, exactly the voice you want to hear when you try and put your PlayStation CD in the hi-fi. This, this is a PlayStation black disc. Black disc. <laughs> Cut number one contains computer data, so please, <laughs> please don't, don't play, play it. it. <laughs> you probably won't listen to me anyway. Uh, no, we, we we would listen to you all day. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Still got that tone, by the way. Not not to go too off track, but his character in Bloodstained Sympathy of the Night is literally like. It's their voice. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. And there you go. Uh, shows the impact of it, right? If he's been brought back for Bloodstained, the love that people have for him as Alucard. So there you go. I guess that that sums it up nicely. You've played this game for ten minutes at this point. Um, 
you start off as a badass vampire hunter, then you turn into a badass vampire, and you meet Death. And, like, Death is, is freaking Death, right? So even if this is your first entry into the series, it's an intimidating figure to see. And then he takes all your stuff. And you're... My experience as an 11-year-old child, having that happen, we're like, where's my sword go? Oh, he took all of my things. <laughs> and then, like, all right, so what do we do? We keep going. And as, like uh, Steve said, you, you're punching stuff until... Until you find a guy that drops a short sword, mm-hmm. and then you have the short sword, and it uh, it it's different than the first sword you had. Uh, you find other weapons, and they all have their own like animation, and that's that's to me that's symphony is is the weapons is that's my experience is like experimenting with them, playing with them. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that you can do in terms of equipping Alucard with weapons and familiars and all this stuff. There's a there's a lot of choice there compared to previous games that, for the most part, were, you know, whip sideways, maybe whip I mean, diagonally. <laughs> to break it down mechanically, you've got, obviously, you know, you've got your attacking, and then you've got your dive kicking, and then you've got transforming into mm. various forms. Then you've got your classic Castlevania sub-weapons. Then you've got spells. Then you've got consumable attack items on top of that. There is a... You have an arsenal in For this sure. game. Rip it open, however you see fit. And I Absolutely. would argue that uh, we're probably going to go this over the the whole like should we say the egovania like line, but mm. the one of the big sales points for me is the fact that you can approach this game in so many different ways. You can like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do a a low level run, and you can uh, you can normally like you know skip monsters or get around them, try and outmaneuver them, or I'm going to do a a melee only run with no spells, so no spamming soul steel for those harder bosses, <laughs> you know, or I'm yeah. going to try and do a sub weapons run. You know, there it's the same kind of mentality as Dark yeah. Souls now, I guess. But um, that kind of like malleability yes. in a two D side scrolling adventure game. Is- yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. a great word for it as well. Discovering the spells too. If you didn't find the spell books um, and you like stumbled across the uh, the code, you could do that too. Mm. Oh yeah, as long as you've got like I think it's I think the, the most expensive spell is like fifty MP. Yeah, um, yeah at least that. Uh, so if you just stumble around, just try and like street fire and put some things. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that. And, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say this. It's it, all these things, right? All these additions, insane amounts of stuff to suddenly. Um, uh, no, I want to say tacked on. That's not right. The right phrase at all. But there's there's just a lot of choice there. But at its core, even though it plays very very differently, it's still. It's still Castlevania. It's so weird that it plays so differently, but it it is Castlevania. And Jordan, you said, and you're very right about this. Is you can you know draw the curtains uh, in the evening and just sort of relax with this game, even though it's got challenge to it. It's you you can afford to make some mistakes, and you can learn from those mistakes and come back. You know, in the same life as opposed to the original Castlevania. You know, you, you make a mistake, you fall wildly off the edge, and have to start again. Um, and that's part of the fun but with this it w- it was it was done in a different way it was similar but done in a very different way where it's like oh okay uh let's try and coming at it from this angle and you've got all these different angles because of this insane arsenal you've got absolutely i mean you you realize quite early into the game that enemies drop items and mm. you can equip those items and you've got a lot of slots in order to be able to equip and by the time you obviously get to the library and you you meet the uh, the merchant the, the librarian i guess um y- there you have it you've got you've got a shop where all of a sudden you can actually buy additional items 
some of which have uh, you know status effects, uh, you know, like healing or you know in increased intelligence or magic and stuff like that. Um, and all of a sudden, there's not just one way of playing the game. Um, there can obviously be various strategies to the the 2D Castlevanias, but all of a sudden there is now this variety to strategies that. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily always have to follow the same way. Sure, there is probably a master loadout, like the, sure. the yeah, best loadout that you could have for Symphony of the Night. But yeah, when grim. I two Crusade Grims, <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, right. But when I when I finished Symphony of the Night, it kind of I had a look at what my final uh, loadout was, um, you know, to see what what beat Dracula basically, and it was like I could reference that. I could say, okay. That is the loadout that works best for me. Mm. You know, that is what complements my game style. I didn't have to necessarily kind of go and look up. All right, does you know what do I need? Do I need this in order to actually beat him? Or it, it was more of a kind of no. This is something that over the course of you know qu quite a few hours, I've been able to uh, build build together as a, a proper loadout that. Just, just complements the gameplay the way that I want it to be. Albeit, yeah. there was one point where uh, I think there is, I think there's like a ring that you can wear, and uh, it like gives one eight, one HP boost every time you walk or something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you. Can, there were a couple actually, points. There were a couple it, points I got stuck, and I had to just uh, maybe. I literally put a I put a string around my controller, <laughs> and I just I just left Alucard to walk into a, a corner because at that point I didn't want to. I didn't want to die and then have to go all the way back to the start mm. of that section because mm. it was right. tough. Um, but there was no other way, place I could go, so I was just like, just I'm just going to have to put on the health ring. <laughs> and walk into the wall. I'm going to um, go start dinner. That's, that's honestly one of the things I still appreciate about not just that game, but the genre as a whole. Mm. Um, the ability to like take a breath. So it's, it's like you mentioned, the game is like you, you put on your cozies and you're sitting down, you're lounging, playing Symphony of the Night. Uh, and you get through a hard part, and it's challenging, but you see a save room, and you're like, okay, cool. And you get that sense of, like, all right, you're going to heal up and explore deeper. And if you, you you can go back, you have a point to go back to. And if you're done for the night, you're done for the night. But there's no obligation, yeah, I should say. Yeah, sure. It's a part um, of that exploration, isn't it, really? It's, it, it invites you to take it at completely your pace. Uh, I also appreciate how the game teaches you about its own mechanics. Like, when you walk up to... Uh, uh, you you run into when you, you get the different forms we talked about earlier, and you run into the first instance of needing one before you find it. Yeah. So because you you walk up to a grade and it says mist form required, and you're like, oh, f mist form, what's that? <laughs> yeah, it's a it, it's a very Metroid thing, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, I got this. Now I understand. I can go back to this. And if you've been paying hopefully close enough attention to your map. Uh, you remember all these little spots. You can look at it and pull it up and be like, well, there was a door here I couldn't go through. Um, so let me go and rub my latest weapon or MacGuffin or whatever I've got against right. it and, and, and continue my progress in this direction until I have to go back the other way. And th These kind of games, I didn't think about it until I started sort of putting notes together. But it's... Well, Symphony of the Night is the first 2D open-world RPG... <laughs> Which is a thought I'd I'd never considered before, but it is. It's an open world RPG. It just so happens to be in two dimensions. It just lets you go in whatever direction you know up to a certain point, and you can do it in whatever order up to a certain point. Of course, um, yeah. I mean the secret breaking malarkey at like 
as yeah. it's off the course, but generally. Well, of course, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but and yeah, so, you're right. You're talking about like all of these things this game did and how exploration, and it was an open-world RPG, but it also like let you decide the story beats because there were definitely points in the game where the yeah. game gave you... Um, an item. I'm gonna. I think it was after Medusa. You get the silver ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, all it is. It doesn't really do much. I don't recall. I think it might give you a, a minor step, but it says uh, wear, wear a clock. clock. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's weird. And then uh, you, you know, you're going along. You're going your merry. At one point, uh, I think it's a secret that you have to unlock. But you, you have a conversation with Maria, and she gives you the gold ring, and it mm-hmm. says uh, in wear a clock, and it's in tower. And you're like, what? Uh, and you go into the clock tower, and it, it, uh, that's how you like, because you, you've beaten the game at that point, but you can still play it. Right. But Fair it gives enough. you that, it opens the door to the next way. Yeah. And that map that you've spent however many hours becoming very familiar with, of course, at that point, completely yeah. turns upside down, as we talked about. And you get to re familiarize yourself with this upside down version of the castle, which as mentioned by the various journalists I quoted, uh, I mean, gee, if this game didn't blow your mind enough already by that point, it's like, oh, there's a whole other game here now. And so, it's more than just inverted too, because yeah, they, they add new there's, music and enemies. and Yeah, there's loads of boss fights now suddenly dumped into this upside down crazy version as well. Loved it. Yeah, it's... it's it, like... With the intention of, oh, we're going to make a game to increase replay value, they have thought about that many steps of the way through in terms oh, yeah. of the way the game plays and, of course, you know, the, the pacing of the game by having this map that you slowly unfold and then a second time as well. I would argue yeah. that the, the actual layout of the Inverted Castle isn't as uh, refined as the the right way up castle, sure. A better term, but it's still it's still serviceable in its concept. Mm-hmm. They also give you aids in areas where you wouldn't otherwise be able to, because there are definitely parts of the upside down castle that that aren't weren't designed to be upside down. So they do often give you platforms. Mm. Yeah, um, but at that point, you've got everything you need to traverse the map anyway. Yeah, that's and true. It's, I think that's it's the a real place where the hidden super boss is, isn't it? Like you have mm-hmm. to go find Galamoth, who's like the actual like meanest boss in the game mm. yeah it's, the castle. it's a real celebration care. as a as a 2d castlevania game goes uh despite the fact that it is completely different from the classic vanias um in many many ways uh one thing i liked about it is that uh, one of the very first sort of bosses that you face is um is it slugware and gaibon yeah 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 um and you know if you if you played castlevania 4 then you know that they're pretty, pretty tricky bosses. Um, you know, you don't have a great deal of movement, and and that was kind of the main problem with like uh, the, the the main challenge in Super Castlevania Four is that when you face them, um, obviously in separate uh, instances, uh, you only had one screen to move about in. Mm. But they're introduced here as a starter boss, which like if you if you had already played Castlevania Four and you're already well versed with Castlevania, and then you play Symphony of the Night. It seems kind of funny because it's kind of like, all right, you are in for a much bigger adventure than you know what you anticipate because yeah. these guys are basically the the, the uh, Vulcan skull of <laughs> the, the, the Vulcan skull of the Castlevania world. Yeah. They're just they're, they're there. They're you know like they're just uh, the, you know these two bosses that 
are there to get you into the game, but they're not going to stop you. Um, ultimately, you will you will overcome that. But then you, you get to some of the uh, the bigger bosses. So, you know, obviously some of them are just on one screen. Um, you know, Medusa's one of them. Uh, the uh, mirror, the mirror fight with the other uh, Alucard oh, is another yeah. one. But then you'll have uh, the likes of uh, Legion and um, oh, is it Beelzebub? Beelzebub, yeah. Yeah, where you're you're traveling all over the place. I I, I couldn't tell you how many screens Beelzebub could actually yeah. fit on, but you're constantly having to traverse. And and by that point, you've obviously you've got quite a few powers, um, so that you can traverse. But it's it's a lot of management, um, and that a just, cool boss fight too. Yeah, it it just wasn't something. Even though this is a two D game, you just hadn't seen it anywhere else. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't something that was. Um, possible on most of the 16-bit systems. So even if people were looking at it and they were saying, eh, yeah, but you know, it's still 2D. It's kind of like, no, there's so many more complexities, which is great, because it's not like it was just a follow-up to the 2D Castlevanias. It was the next step in that evolution that wasn't purely to go into polygonal graphics. Right. Um, does anybody have like a particular favorite boss? I do. A few. A few. Um, for me, I'm going to jump in because I'm greedy. Um, it's funny we, <laughs> we, 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 we've mentioned uh, Legion or Grand Falloon yeah. on this one. It's the giant ball of corpses, but I, I will I will save that for someone else. I, I am you know I am actually very fond of Beelzebub because if I describe it to you, listener, as a giant strung up corpse covered in flies, it doesn't sound intimidating in the slightest. <laughs> However. It literally is one of the hardest boss fights in the game because it just mm. like has nothing but like you know detritus and maggots and things. You have to break this boss to pieces to kill it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. you know a visually stunning it's, boss, it's... and you know I mean Dracula's final form as well. But again, not going to be greedy. Going to open the floor to everyone else to tell me about these great bosses. You mean you mean the alien queen Dracula? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite boss, honestly, is. Uh... The boss fight against the second time you see the doppelganger. Oh, when they um, know what they're doing. Right when he like gets he, he like that's how I found out about the bat dash ability. Like because he he whips that out, you're like what the heck was that? Um, yeah, that was that's my favorite boss fight um, in the in the game. That and I like I also like the 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 Grant Cipher um, yeah Trevor fight. Um, I do also want to add before that is I didn't know Gallimoth was a, supposed to be a secret boss. I he's just part of my rotation. It, it's uh, so you know Kid Dracula is technically part of the Castlevania canon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kid Dracula defeated the time demon Gallimoth. Uh, oh. Baby's daddy. It's literally a callback to that. Only now Gallimoth is stupidly huge and filled with lightning. And if you do not have any either lightning resistant equipment or cheese it with either poison mist or the shield rod. An Alucard shield. It's, it's a mare to fight that thing. Uh, it literally is a you have the right build or you persevere kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. Whereas most of the other bosses, I'd say, are fairly, like, in comparison to earlier Castlevania games, as Jordan pointed out with this, mo you know, the mobility in space, generally a lot easier than their counterparts as a result. Mm. That and, you know, you always typically have a save room nearby and. You can kind of you can go through the first fight, sort of learning, you know, basically the patterns and you know what kind of strength it has and and what doesn't work and what does work, and eventually you can come back with the appropriate loadout. Yeah. So uh, I 
am uh, hugely passionate about this game, so I'm I'm just going to put some things out there. Um, what I love most about Symphony of the Night is, despite all these changes we've talked about, is and this is sort of like a big brain moment. This is this is sort of this sort of clever thing I expect Sherwin to say. This feels most like a Castlevania sequel than anything else, because it does everything that Castlevania One did, but in its own way. So it has that stylishness. You know, it looks amazing. The score is brilliant. And what I said about Castlevania One was very much on purpose: is that it was confident in what it was and what it wanted to be, and that is. 100% true of Symphony of the Night. They knew what they wanted to make. They knew what the ended result was meant to be in terms of longevity and, and replayability and stuff like that. Um, every game that came after Castlevania 1, and the word derivative sounds really like that. It's not quite what I meant, but sequels that were just sort of uh, just trying new things on the formula, basically. But this is the huge jump. This is... There is so much Castlevania 1 in this identity, not necessarily the way that it plays or anything like that, but its ideals is just what shook me when I played it. In, in the same way that when I played Castlevania 1 for the first time, I was just like, oh, this is like a moment. And I, and it, it completely, they pulled it off. It's incredible. Fun fact is it is also a direct sequel to Rondo. It is, yeah. Which is obviously the beginning of the game is how Rondo yeah. ends, right? Yeah, so um, I don't know if if we were all symphonied out. Are we going to move on to the rest I, I of have, the... I have one question for everybody. Go What's your favourite weapon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's already been mentioned. The, this, the whirling dervish of <laughs> having two of those blades is ridiculous. I wish wow. I had my like picture of my loadout right now. I'd be able to find it. Like... <laughs> Do you remember what the store does? Like, I'm not saying like the best weapon. I'm like, What's your favourite weapon? Oh, for me, that's the Alicart sword. Uh, yes, and I don't mean this as a joke. Uh, the Alucard sword, for the listeners' sake, is it's basically a mock version of Alucard's weapon. It doesn't have its cool little hidden weapon skill where it can teleport, but it's got massive DPS. Mm. And both of these swords have one of the most satisfying acoustic sounds of swinging a weapon in a Castlevania <laughs> game. Therefore, it's my favorite because you just have to hammer things to death with it. Plus, it's got massive crit damage if you get it. The uh... My favorite weapon is the shield rod, and that's important. I, I mention that now because if you shield rod with the Alucard shield, uh, what the shield rod does is you, you use it at the same time. You hit both weapon buttons at the same time, and it like creates an effect. Uh, oh, that's always... busted, though, surely. Like... <laughs> so the Alucard shield turns it into the best item in the game. It, it does a bunch of damage. It heals you anytime it does damage, but it does drain your mana. If you do the Alucard shield with a T, he does it, and it does the whole animation, and then just a little question mark appears above Alucard's head. And that's it. <laughs> it's like, is that it? <laughs> the, the big show of like, you're going to kick that? No, you're not. It doesn't do anything. It's just a question mark. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. That was, the, One, that was my favorite. I, I think, if I remember memory serves, you can get something akin to it in uh, the Saturn version of Symphony of the Night. Mm. But there is no whip weapon for Alucard, which is a, a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would have been. I'm pretty sure you get a whip sword, but. Don't quote me on it. It's, uh, uh, it is, but it just goes out far and snaps back. Like Soma's. Yeah. Um, should I talk about Nocturne in the Moonlight, or should we just go for it? Yeah, Saturn? no. Yeah. All right. So the, the Saturn port for 
City Night, which Koji Igarashi himself is not too fond of and has considered it the uh, inferior director's cut. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine that. Somewhat, if Resident Evil Remake was remade now and people would go, nah, the original one's better, f*** off. Um, <laughs> it, it features a handful of new areas. I want to say it's like there's an extra like ominous garden place and some messed up prison. Yeah. And then uh, the main takeaways I had from this are obviously you got a few new toys, a few new bosses, but you actually have to fight Maria for the gold ring <laughs> in the same place you would fight uh, Dracula in the uh, inverted castle. And it's a, it's ah. a full-on battle. Like, she's got, like, Dragon Ball Z key blasts, even though she looks like Linkle from, you know, <laughs> I want to say, is it? Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule yeah. Warriors, Hyrule yeah. Warriors. Uh, and then once you've done this and beaten the game, you get to play as her. And she is the most overpowered nightmare creature to ever grace Dracula's castle in that she will literally just blast ray beams across the screen. When they re-released this game on the PSP, sadly, you played as Rondo of Blood Maria, where you just chuck birds out and animals and doves. Mm. You have never you never seen disappointment spread across a man's face more <laughs> than when I went from being able to play as Key Blast Death Maria to then playing as like you know, I am one with the animals, Dr. Doolittle Maria. It's, um, Snow White. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so if you're ever curious about Nocturne of the Moonlight, basically some new areas, some new tools, and an entire new character to play as. Not bad. Check it out. Fair enough. Fun. I liked it. Um, just one last thing. Uh, did anybody have any particular favorite familiars? Sword familiar. The sword, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I thought as much. <laughs> Slash. <laughs> So, uh, Symphony Night was such a success that largely this is the direction that the series has gone from from here. Um, the next half a dozen main title games are these Metroidvania-style games. So, you had Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria Sorrow on the GBA. <clears throat> um, Dawn of Sorrow followed that up with Portrait of Ruin and Order of Ecclesia. I think that's how you pronounce that on DS. Um I'm going to have to step back a little bit on this one because I've only played Circle of the Moon and a little bit of Ira the Sorrow, so I don't really have that much experience with the, the Symphony sequels because it's it's still, you know, for me, three years ago is not that long, <laughs> so I haven't had time to sort of, like, dip into these. So I'm going to let go of the reins a little bit. Um, I'm completely unfamiliar with the uh, Sorrow games. Okay. Uh, but every, everything, everything else I'm familiar with. All right, um, so the... The Donna Sorrow and its sorry, Iris Art and its follow-up Donna Sorrow uh, were very cool. Um, I'm gonna wrap Harmony of Dissonance into it as well because that was also very cool. It was the first time the series went back to using the multi-segmented sprites that they used in Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they, which I, I I maintain, in my opinion, the Harmony of Dissonance, uh, the 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 Juice Belmont Game Boy Advance game might be the worst Egovania game. Someone argue um, that's Circle of the Moon. Um, I, I've only got a little bit of experience with Harmony of Dissonance, and that is, it reminded me of a lot of Metroid Prime 2. Um, right. Because there's two, interp- I think it's two or three interpretations of the castle you have to walk between. Right. Uh, Interesting. Um, I will say, I, I don't like Circle of the Moon, and I, and I will say that. Um, the one thing I, I maintain is that Circle of the Moon at least did something new and interesting with the card mechanic. Yes. Um, and I, I like that. So it's for the card mechanic alone that I put Circle of the Moon above uh, Harmony, uh, Harmony Dissonance. Okay. Um, 
Are we just basically going over like, the, the various like iterations and mod- modifications of the formula? Um, I guess so, did... yeah. Because yeah. I don't know, it's because like... I played a bit of Aria, <laughs> and the, um, sure. the, the, the the gameplay in that is felt very Circle of the Moon to me in the way that you would um, attach the souls and get different abilities and stuff, and that's very similar to the card mechanic, as far as I remember. Yeah. So the, the main takeaway from um, Aria is that it's got a shock that's a bit more viable. You've got all the soul. Every single enemy, I think, in the game has a unique soul with some kind of trait you can attach to Soma. Um, and then they reiterate this on again in the, its sequel, Dawn of Sorrow. But you've got like these uh, touchscreen glyphs you have to perform to defeat bosses in certain places. And you have to, to draw it with the DS stylus. However, Dawn of Sorrow has one of the best callbacks to Castlevania 3 before we got Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. In that if you get the quote unquote bad ending, spoilers, um, Soma becomes Dracula. Full wholesale Dracula. You have to kill you, you have to kill him as Alucard, Yoko Bonadas, and J- Julius. Huh. No, it is Julius, you're right, my bad. Yeah, and it's, That's cool. It's <laughs> time. You, you also you don't start with like the full package. You have to go find like Yoko and um Alucard knocking around the castle. Um, And he plays just like Alucard. mm. He's got the Alucard sword. Yeah, it's a a pretty solid time. Uh, The next one on the docket then would be Portrait of Ruin, which is my personal favorite. This one is almost like the Jack of all trades. You don't get the soul system, but you have like a mountain of weapons. You play as Jonathan Morris, which is the son of John Morris from uh, Mega Drive game Bloodlines. And his sidekick, his sidekick mage, Charlotte Aulin, who I believe is related to the Bonardis family. Sorry, uh, random law dumps aside. <laughs> um, basically, he plays one brutish, like, you know, vampire hunter dude and his mage sidekick, and you can swap between them or use them both at the same time. Uh, in uh, reference to, like, the item crushes that uh, Richter can do, you can now do dual attacks between the pair of them, which you can vary widely from, like, lightning beams across the screen to throwing a thousand knives a second uh, in a designated direction. Pretty solid. The main thing for portrait, though, is the fact that not only do you have to explore the castle, you jump into various portraits around it, which go into like almost like themed levels, like an old-school Castlevania, which what, like can be Bob set... on Battlefield? And... Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> not, 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 not as crazy as it sounds, yeah. That's yeah, actually pretty into... cool. Jump into these mini worlds, and they're like, there's one themed on Victorian London, there's one based on a mansion, one based on ancient Egypt. I want to say a mad circus. Uh, There's the like the the village, the quintessential European village. Yeah, and then there's remixed uh, remixed versions of all of these, and then you fight one hell of a uh, tag team Dracula and death combo at the end. (laughs) It's wild. I'm not. I'm not the best at sales pitching these things, but Portrait of Ruin is perhaps my favourite because of the sheer amount of weapons. And again, like like Symphony, there's a lot of malleability in how you approach it. You can do a Charlotte only run or a Jonathan only. Mm. Run, you know, um, and then obviously they have various tools, weapons, sub weapons at their disposal. They can level up and grind if they want to. Um, next up would be Order of Ecclesia, uh, probably the biggest departure from the. Gavania formula is a, a semi-linear route you have to follow to even get to Dracula's castle, even though it's like there is a world map you can jump around. Like an actual, like, here a map unfolds, you pick Ooh, your location. Okay. You have to do all these things before you can go to Castlevania itself. Interesting. Um, Genoa's okay. got lifts and weird things you can 
attached to a character like souls but not it's hard to kind of put into words it's weird um it's a neat game i I don't like it it. (laughs) it's good but i don't like it (laughs) i said i said it was neat (laughs) i would actually argue there is like one hell of a uh visual set piece in like the first or second boss for Order of Ecclesia that's worth checking out where you fight a giant crab in a collapsing tower. <laughs> like on a DS, this it's it's hard to really put into words, but seeing this tower collapse while you're inside it as a crab, crab gets crushed by an elevator is astounding. <laughs> like even for incredible. a Castlevania game. It, I, it looked- I worried that as, as someone who's only played a little bit of these kind of games that if I were to get through them, that it would be a little bit kind of like in a similar way to the classic games. It's just like, you know, variations upon a formula, um, you know, running around Dracula's castle with some slightly different gameplay tweaks. But it does sound like some of these entries, like you mentioned, like they have come up with ways to go other places and then come back, which is which is not it doesn't sound like a lot. But to mix well, this- up that. It, uh, I mean, there's a few, there's a few other things. Um, just to jump in, not to railroad you back off. No, no, it's fine. There are each of these games normally feature at least one or two unlockable characters, which completely mm-hmm. break how a Castlevania game plays. In mm-hmm. uh, Portrait of Sorrows, a Portrait of Ruins case, you've got a, a pair of mage sisters that now fly around the screen, and you almost play it like a uh, shoot 'em up. You, you're, you're moving your character around the, moving around the screen like you're playing a, a shoot 'em up ship. It's still the castle. But well, then yeah, you also use a stylus to pick where you fire. Uh, and then wow. in Order of Ecclesia, there's a character who plays not dissimilar to how a Mega Man character would be with ranged attacks and charges on beam shots. It's a bit like Richter mode in Symphony of the Night. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Richter's also available, I think, in a few of these. Let's talk about Circle of the Moon um, because I, I find it one of the most intriguing entries. Uh, what a task it had on its hands um, as pretty much the the next follow-up uh, to Symphony of the Night. It not only had to meet those kind of expectations that had been set by Symphony of the Night, but it also had to do it on weaker hardware. Um, sure, yeah, that's on a the, good point. On the successor system to the Game Boy, which last finished with uh, Legends, which, you know, obviously at the time was not seen as the way forward for Castlevania games. So when you go into Circle of the Moon... Um, you know, there's no other way to put it. It is not as fluid as Symphony of the Night. Um, it's actually really stunted as far as as far as movement is concerned. Um, the visuals um, seem to have been designed without any knowledge of what the Game Boy Advance was actually going to be when it first came out. No backlight, no front light. There's absolutely nothing to actually light up the screen. And so mm-hmm. to have a very dark game on this little like two and a half, three inch screen. Uh, wasn't very good as an experience um, for most people playing it when it kind of like came out around the time that the system launched. That said, I think it's I think it's fairly ambitious in what it did. I think the card system, um, you know, it was the first Castlevania game to obviously follow Symphony of the Night and then sort of carve out its own niche mm. um, by having a type of a, a sort of a subsystem. Um, to aid in the combat and the card system is very good it's, it's, it's fun um right. to actually farm for the drops is is great and uh you can obviously come up with all kinds of different styles for your for your whip and it's a great it's a great strategy it's it's a weird one just because i did enjoy circle of the moon but i kind of i felt like i 
I had to take a long time to kind of get used to it because it feels as stunted in movement um, and combat as the old classic Vanias. Yeah. But you're in a you're in a world and and levels that are are purely based upon uh, you know Egovanias and you know any, everything that follows Symphony of the Night. But it it definitely stands out as the um, as the, the the black sheep of the the Ega family in that kind of manner because it was a little bit sort of half baked. Uh, it probably could have used an extra year in development. By which point. You might have even had the Game Boy Advance SP out, and it may not have had to actually change its visuals mm. um, that that much. But um, that said, I, like of the four games that I have played from this particular sort of generation, bridging across from Game Boy Advance to DS, um, it's it, it's up there. It's 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 hard because there's a lot of great games in this period of time, um, but I still think people should should give it a chance. Um, mm. Yeah, I, played, I, I, played. I will echo that the thoughts on Circle of the Moon, though. By the way, just quickly because, sure, um, as a sequel to Symphony, yeah, it's it's a tough act to follow, but I, I, it's a solid experience. It's it's not Symphony of the Night good, and it was never going to be, but it it does a decent enough job in it in its own right. And obviously, I can't compare it to what came next, and the uh, the lessons that the term team would have learned making this GBA kind of version of that style of game than they would have applied to the sequels but yeah as a follow-up to symphony it, it's it's pretty solid that I, I can at least say that much absolutely there's there's still an experience there and again like on a game boy advance this you know this is basically Huge. a souped up uh super nintendo it's not necessarily yeah. the most yeah. uh complex there isn't that much advancement uh even if the name suggests um <laughs> but uh, but obviously it's it's interesting to kind of see what happens with uh, the, the designs and, and how they splinter out because yeah, Symphony of the Night, great game. I, I think we've I think we've made that point quite strongly. But uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter was the, the, the fan base was very happy to play Symphony of the Night style games for a long time, and mm. Konami were happy to provide them. And so they, they had to kind of find a way of kind of diverging the games without necessarily each of the games trotting on each other's toes. I think they did a really good job of that. But those first two Game Boy Advance games do kind of wrestle with the identity of uh, where exactly they're going. And it almost feels like, even with my own limited knowledge, I do know how critically well-received, and it is a fan favorite, Aria of Sorrow is. Um, those two games uh, had to kind of wrestle with the notion of, uh, you know, what Castlevania can be on... Uh, on the Game Boy Advance and, and and what it's actually capable of, and and also what people want. So you know, Circle of the Moon may not have been to everybody's taste. So they kind of bring it back more to something more traditional mm. with Harmony of Dissonance that is the closest to a Symphony of the Night, I would say. Um, yeah. And and then obviously you have Aria Sorrow, which is fledging into its own thing altogether. Um, it's kind of the reason why I have not. Uh, played Aria or Sorrow of Dawn or Sorrow yet because they are effectively their own little uh, sub-series and I know that playing one I need to find the time to go play the next so <laughs> I just I just have not um, I, I have not ventured into those yet but I played Portrait of Ruin I'm actually like I'm on the, the last boss of Portrait of Ruin so uh, like I, I know pretty much everything about that game uh, minus, minus the final bosses and the, like you know some of the extras and the lockables you know as as everyone else has said, 
it's a it's a great game for the variety it brings. Um, it really kind of lets its hair down. I mean, I think I think Castlevania games as a whole just are quite happy to, um, you know, be crazy with the variety and just, you know, let a, a castle be whatever you want it to be. But the <laughs> fact that you've got so many different varied locations, um, and it's all it's all just linked through these paintings. Um, it, it, it's it's something it's something about the Castlevania series at this point where it's just kind of like you know what we just know you enjoy playing these games and being in these worlds so we don't have to we don't have to kind of treat it like we're trying to convince you we know you already enjoy these worlds so I mean Portrait of Ruin is something that you probably would want to play when you're already an established Castlevania fan. Right. When you just you you just want to have it where it's like, okay, I want to play Castlevania where there's a tag team, and you can go to ancient Egypt if you want, and you can fight all of these different, um, you know, enemies that you some some of which you've never seen in any of the other games. Although it has a massive enemy list, from what I recall. Jeez. But Order of the Ecclesia, Order of the Ecclesia is, um, I think it's a high note. If the, if there was going to be an Egovania era. Uh, that, that sort of has a conclusion with Konami, um, and they never make another one like that. Um, then I would say that Order of Ecclesia is a really good high note. Yeah, I consider it up there as one of my favorites. Um, but it's it, it's it's hard because this this particular era, I I think it's it's hard to necessarily see if the, uh, any of these games are progressing above each other. I would say I would say mm. Aria, Dawn, Portrait, Order of Ecclesia, all of those offer something different, and so they all kind of feel like they're on level. If if you were to say any of those are your favorite, it's completely valid, um, and uh, you know makes perfect sense. So it's really interesting because that's a really strong period of time. If you were like playing Castlevania games in the early two thousands to you know the the mid to late two thousands, um, it's fantastic period of time for those games and they still stand up but it is a crime that they are not available as widely as they should be sure yeah completely um for they many were completely people omitted from the castlevania collections weren't they yeah it's this i guess less so the gba but the ds games obviously um not been ported too much forward have they i guess so but for many people i think um they think of Castlevania as a series on a handheld system, you know, because of these run of games, um, which I can completely understand. As you said there, the the, the sort of run of quality as well. As well. It uh, it found its second sort of home, its second life on the GBN, the DS with this. And, and you're totally right, because when I had finished Circle of the Moon, I was like, oh, okay, I could play Harmony next, or I could sort of dip in wherever and... Maybe I'll, and unfortunately it didn't really work out, but my plan was to play at least one more before the podcast, but unfortunately life gets in the way. And when I asked people, you know, which one ideally do I play before we talk about this sort of uh, Metroidvania style, I just got so many different answers. So yeah, like you can come at any of them and enjoy any of them for similar and different reasons that they're maybe with the exception of Circle of the Moon because of what, you know, there's some struggles that it may have had following up Symphony of the Night. And if you play it on release, like you say, on the original screen, you're not going to have that problem now with emulation and the GBA, uh, GBASP. But yeah, I could see why it would be visually a bit of a problem. But yeah, there isn't a, a big stinker in this lot. 
Okay, so whilst all this was going on, though, of course, all these new fans being introduced to Castlevania via these fantastic games on handheld consoles, there were some entries that we've sort of skipped over on the on home console releases. You got a few uh, 3D games for the N64. <laughs> <laughs> tragic <laughs> N64 games in fact there's a couple for the PlayStation 2 um, and of course later on as well I don't know even if it's worth touching on them too much but the Lords of Shadow series as well um, Steve I know you're a little versed in the, the 3D games what's your sort of opinion on this part of the series I feel like we're doing a slight disservice but uh, Lament of Innocence <laughs> is an okay and I say this in, in, the, in, the, in the lightest terms an okay Castlevania tries to rip off Devil May Cry game. Wrapped, <laughs> wrapped as an origin story. It's mm. adequate. Right? And it the, is... the same... Sorry, Berger, go on, man. I, I was going to say, I, I, was, I would agree with Steve in that it is a perfectly okay video game. <laughs> if, if the other games excel, like, you know, even Dracula Bloody X, like, you know, this is still a five. It, it's uh, a... Yeah. All right. Mm. Thanks, Mum. Cheers for Christmas present and all that. Like, you know, um... The follow-up, Curse of Darkness, is very much the same, but Symphony of the Night features uh, Hector has has a honestly astounding sound. Both these PS2 games actually do have wow, chef's kiss yeah. OSTs. Just the story is crap and the gameplay is middling. Mm. Um, I would argue of the two, Curse of Darkness is more my bag. It's a little bit closer to Symphony of the Night in terms of what you can do. Uh, and then uh, before Lords of Shadow, because I'm, I'm delaying the inevitable, I'm sorry, Sai. Um, <laughs> There was the god-awful Castlevania Judgment uh, on the Wii. <laughs> uh, a piss-poor 3D fighter featuring the likes of Alucard, Eric Lassard, Simon Belmont, as you've never recognised them before. Because <laughs> they've got the, uh, the Death Note artist's name, I'm sorry, it escapes me. Um, and honestly, they're, they're some astounding designs. Yeah, great character some, designs. They don't look anything... Anything at all like the characters we've come to know at all? Not uh, my Castlevania. <laughs> well, it's not even. They just they don't fit their silhouettes. Their personalities have been rewritten as well, so, mm, almost yeah. to a disgusting degree. Uh, Maria Renard. Uh, Maria Renard is the biggest offender for me because she's like the young sidekick character for Richter and Rondo of Blood, basically trying to egg him on to be a hero. Right in this, she's a uh, pervert creep who's just on, obsessed with other ladies' breasts. Oh. Yep. Like, yeah, it's it's cringe. So basically, Castlevania Judgment, I have judged you poorly. You <laughs> <laughs> chose badly. Uh, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark quotes. Um, so, and uh, then we come to the death of Castlevania. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. Lords of Shadow. Yeah. I like Lords of Shadow. I thought yeah, it was fun. Same. Played it. I've played about seven or eight hours of it and i thought i was probably near the end by that point but it goes on for another 10 or so um <laughs> and out of about seven of those seven hours at no point did i feel like i was playing castlevania unfortunately i mean they're fine they're just an amalgamation i mean i've only played the first one but i imagine they're all quite similar it just felt like a bunch of other video games that were successful all pushed onto one disc like you know there's a bunch of shadow of the colossus in there and a God of, War, God of War, God of War, just yeah, it's a real shame. If beige was a video game, <laughs> yeah, it, was, it really is. Yeah, it really visually is. stunning beige, right? You know, it was very not, pretty. Sure, not, not not to throw it under the bus completely. Visually stunning, but 
Lords of Shadow is the reason why people go on about how great PT is, right? As a uh, a brilliant game that could that, that was never germinated uh, mm. by Hideo yeah. Kojima. Mm. Because Hideo Kojima's name is on Laws of Shadow, I will forever be slightly skeptical of what PT that good. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair no, point. That's uh, a fair point. Um, I, I I don't think that they're good Castlevania games. Uh, I I had a lot of fun. Um, I mean, the combat is feels great from what I remember. So I, yeah, you know, it's it's not a bad game. I just I don't know. It lacks the personality for me. Yeah, it's it's not Castlevania. Uh, which game started the trope where you find a big beast, you subdue it a bit, and then you get to control it in this really malaise-like fashion where it flails its arms around? Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Every time I in this game, right, not to go Every off on a tangent, Every time I won this game, I felt like I wanted to pull my eyeballs out. It was that dreary. <laughs> like, um, I, I, give me back Dante's flipping a last door and a shotgun, man. I want some fun in I, these like I, action sequences. This is crap. I like that. Um, the fa- uh, so let's talk real quick. The we didn't mention the sixty-four Castlevanias. Yeah, there's the a reason for that. <laughs> the, the, come on, let, let's let's play. We play Devil's Advocate here a little bit. Um. <laughs> The the one thing they had going for them is a I don't I don't feel like they also weren't Castlevania games. Um, mm. They did a, they really did try in terms of building a story and giving you a cool storyline. They they did some fun stuff, um, especially the second one. Uh, the first one you can completely ignore, but the second one I think it was called Curse of Darkness. I think so. Yeah. Jordan uh, wants no. to give Walter some credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to mention they're not awful. You play the second one. You get to play as a werewolf. You did transform from a person into a werewolf, and that's really cool. Um, but yeah, back to Jordan for Lord of Shadow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I see that I am in the the extreme minority here with regards to Lords of Shadow. Look, I'm not going to say that they're great games. Um, I beat two out of three of the the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, uh, my my biggest fear from Lords of Shadow. The Lords of Shadow era was that people were going to look at it as uh, sort of the the thing that killed off Castlevania, and I don't, I don't believe it is. Mm. Um, Konami are uh, behind that. Yeah, principally. well, this is true. Yep. The, yeah. The, the the fact of the matter is, from the beginning, ever since it was sort of first established that it was going to be a trilogy, I was immediately cool with it. A lot of people didn't like it because they were just kind of like, first of all. What is this? This is taking resources away from you know making another Egavania. You know mm. we're not gonna we're not gonna see um, you know Ju- uh, Julius Belmont the 1999 storyline oh, all that kind of stuff. You know, so people were, people were really torturing themselves and they were looking for something to blame. And and you know, Lords yeah. of Shadow ended up being a, a really kind of good scapegoat for that. Mm. I mean, as far as like Hideo Kojima's uh, involvement, I'm thinking it was very minimal. It was just yes. the fact that he. He saw the, um, the the actual sort of project when it was sort of in a prototype format, and he liked it so much that he kind of used his name to kind of gain some influence at Konami and say, "Make this like mm-hmm. you know, it's got promise." And to be fair, it did. Like it's um, it's you know, it's it's a game that apes off a lot of things. Um, that's not necessarily uh, foreign territory for Castlevania games. I think it kind of it, it gets. Uh, a bit, a bit less leeway where where it concerns that because it's it's frankly it's a brand new series within Castlevania and it's not coming from the side of Castlevania that people most enjoy, which is the two D side. No, it's the three D side where it's all 
very experimental and there's a lot of misses. Mm. Um, but I think there's success there. Um, I think the most intriguing thing to me was the fact that it was a trilogy. So whatever they were going to do was contained within the continuity of the trilogy, nowhere else. Um, and it was going to have a, it was going to have a conclusion and it was, it was ultimately its own thing. There was going to be an end to it. It wasn't going to take away um, the games any more than Konami were just going to do themselves. Mm. It was, it, it was just a foray into something, something different. Yeah. I do think, um, I do think that it's, it's a strange one to look back at now because I was very excited for the series. You know, knowing it's just a trilogy, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's great. It's like three games and you get a whole story. And what's more, there is a, there's a, there's a nice story and twist to it. But by the time that I played the 3DS one, I kind of felt like I'd ran out of steam. Um, right. Because yeah. by, by the time I finished that game, I didn't necessarily feel like playing Lords of Shadow 2. And I still haven't, mm -hmm. even though I was super excited for it. And I consider it to have like one of the best trailers ever made, frankly. Um, but, the trailer but still, is so good they made a movie about it. Swing it around. <laughs> so, uh, so I... Uh, you know, I, I don't really kind of hold it against Lords of Shadow because what you know what it was at, at least trying to do was um, produce something that could actually work in a in a three D space. And yeah, it aped off your Devil May Cry's, your your God of War, your Shadow of the Colossus. But these are not bad games to ape from, I might add. Um, although I think it definitely should have aped um, Right Stick Dodging uh, because. <laughs> <laughs> the game just doesn't have that. There's no, there's no proper way of kind of dodging without having to hold the shoulder button, and I don't, I, I just don't. Sometimes a game has the kind of controller mappings that does make you scratch your head because like one button will have three different contextual options, and an entire stick won't have anything. Mm. Um, but that's that's me that's meandering off my point. The, the the fact is that they're still they're still otherwise enjoyable, and what's more, if if you're prepared to kind of let the rest of the canon just sort of step aside and, uh, you know, just think, okay, what would happen if sort of the Belmont uh, lineage was sort of condensed down? And what if, spoiler alert, one of the Belmonts turns out to become Dracula? Um, that was that was interesting to me. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like a what if. And um, the fact that they kind of decided to go, go down that path and and you know Mercury Steam was sort of audacious enough to go down that path because after all they are they are dealing with um, you know a canon that a lot of people obviously uh, you, you know enjoy and have built up um, you know as fans and as developers. Um, it was it was bold and I I just liked that they did that. I mean the 3DS one tries to be a little bit more Castlevania and that it's it tries to be sort of 2D progression, mm -hmm. but that married with uh, God of War Combat just didn't mix for me, and it, it kind of it felt a bit sort of sluggish. Um, but yeah, there. It, it's hard to hate Castlevania games because <laughs> they at least try something. Yeah, and even even if they fail at that, you know what they were trying to do, or, or you know that with a little bit of extra time, they could have fixed those things. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I like to, I like to go out of my way to defend Lords of Shadow just because it was its own thing. It wasn't around for very long. And it's it's still worth something. It is also 
like Lords of Shadow one. Roll back that's compatible right now. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, there you go. You, st you can still go and enjoy them. <laughs> Unlike, unfortunately, a lot of Castlevania games of the past, you know, these ones are actually quite readily accessible and on modern hardware. Mm -hmm. um, it was a gorgeous game, um, even even on the Xbox 360, where you know it, it still had its like its frame rate drops and stuff like that. But it was it was a really nice looking game. Um, and when you actually get to the castle section, like some of those vistas still blow me away. Um, it was only until uh, the Souls games came along and obviously, you know, took the the concept of these, you know, kind of mythical castles even further that um, it kind of got overshadowed. But before then, it was uh, it really stood out. So there's some positive points to kind of take away. And I think as far as uh, three like the three D series are concerned, it ain't. It ain't a great bunch, but it, yeah. it definitely stands above those. It, it, yeah, it, it stands above the N64 ones, and I would say also the PS2 ones. As yeah. a defender of the PS2 ones, I'm going to actually agree with Jordan here, as much as I don't like Lords, Lords of Shadow. Like, uh, I've got my bugbears. Mostly, uh, in, in actuality, it made me bored to hear Patrick Stewart, which is a crime. Yeah. Like, yeah I got through good. Oblivion, and I didn't mind him. Maybe he's there <laughs> for 10 minutes. But every time it broke up a chapter and we had, like, you know, apparently really, really depressed or bored. Patrick still going, and, and then the journeyer went to this place and it was written. <laughs> I, like, the narrative is somehow both intriguing and dull at the same time. Yeah, getting I know around, what you mean. Getting, getting around the environments is laborious, right? The, you... the combat is tedious, but the visuals and the soundtrack much like most of the other games when they are flawed in any other aspects, they are, you know, in Lords of Shadow, I will give it that. And the ending reveal of the first game, as much as I don't like it, you know, the actual game itself, that ending reveal, that, like, final cutscene is mm -hmm. uh, a jaw-dropping moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is a pretty fantastic reveal. I liked it. Um, and off the back of this, they were able to, you know, Mercury Steam, you know, they had enough success there. They, they'd obviously, they'd worked on... on you know, the main consoles, the core consoles, and they worked on handheld games. Obviously, you know, managed to get a, a Nintendo gig out of it and uh, make Samus Returns. Um, mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting yeah. to see what, what they ended up doing after they uh, they uh, finished up Lords of Shadow. Um, and, you know, they're obviously they're still producing games now. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here and if they actually pick up any of those designs that they did have in the Lords of Shadow to create something of their own further down the line. I'd like seeing that. I think it's uh, it's nice to end on a, on a bit more, not you know, an apologetic note or whatever about Lords of Shadow because um, despite everything, and I know you're completely right, it's it's Konami that killed Castlevania. Of course, we can see that with pretty much all of their franchises. Um, but Lords of Shadow Two being the final game in the series up to this point in 2014, so that's six years ago now, as of speaking. Um, or if you're looking at the sort of core timeline, uh, Order of Ecclesia was 2008, so that's 12 years, unfortunately, since the last mainline Castlevania game. Um, un but, you know, on the plus side, in the last few years, the name value of Castlevania has gone up um, perhaps even more than it really ever has in a mainstream way, 
because it's on Netflix now. Um, we've gone quite long with this episode, so we may have to save the uh, the Netflix adaption talk for another day. Um, but there's, I mean, there's plenty to go into there now with three seasons already under its belt, and I believe they've already confirmed a fourth. Um, but we'll we'll get to that indeed. So just to finish this one up, just real quick, fire it off me. I know some of the answers already. Um, what's your favourite Castlevania game in the series? Uh, Mike, I already know yours, so let's do it. Uh, it's Portrait of Ruin. Um, but Symphony of the Night also. Like, <laughs> it's I... one, and also this one. Yeah. And also this one. <laughs> it's all of them. I can't pick one. I can't choose, no. But seriously, uh, joking aside, uh, Symphony of the Night is my favourite game in the series. Uh, Steve, what's your favourite Castlevania game ever? You know, not to sound like a stereo or a repeat of what we just had, but it is actually still Portrait of Ruin. Nice. Uh, <laughs> That's cool, though. I mean, that makes me even more intrigued to try that one out. Uh, Jordan, favorite Castlevania? Man, that's that's tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna say one, and it'll it'll be something different tomorrow. Sure, but yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Super Castlevania Four, uh, oh, nice. just because I think as a, as an experience, it is one of the best ways to get into the series. Um, it is a fantastically sort of directed game um, as, as an experience, as a challenge, as a, as a game as a whole, and as a Castlevania. It is just, it's solid. And uh, it still stands out as its own thing, really. Even though it's a remake, even though it never had a real continuation of um, mm. some of the some of the mechanics that were at its core, it's still, you, you can go play it on the Castlevania collection now, like on, on the Switch or something like that. It still stands up and um, it's it's excellent. Nice. Good choices. Time, time Good choices. Plays. Every time Simon Steen plays, you get chills. Right. <laughs> I want to change my answer already. That's that's how good that game is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad. No, this is, that sounds really mean. I'm really glad Sherwin isn't here, but mostly just because he would point out the flute music from Super Castlevania 4, which I, oh, it's absolutely disgusting. It's awful. But <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, yeah, my favorite symphony. Um, I don't tend to do lists of favorite games ever, but I, I finally nailed it down last year and Symphony of the Night was in the top 10 and it's, it's the only Castlevania game in the top 10 of my favorite games ever. So it's got to be that. Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash pod. You can also join our Discord server where you can discuss Resident Evil and Castlevania and other stuff with us and other fans and listen to the main show live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at FASpraypod on Instagram at FA Spray Pod and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash FA Spray Pod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, then please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. Jordan is at Box 64 And Mike is at It's Burger Time. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Um, I beat two out of three of the the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, can you hear fireworks?
No, you're fine. Fuck okay, me. cool. I, I I've got fireworks going on. In, like okay. not not me, obviously. <laughs> that would be very irresponsible of me to do that during a podcast. <laughs> We're but anyway. Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's why I was obviously talking about why the podcast was kind of like going over time. It was like, well, I've got my, uh, you know, I've got my fireworks show starting <laughs> at about 6.45. <laughs> uh, 